Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, folks around the world, welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 47, the 2021 finale. This is our last episode of the calendar year. And Willie, I did not imagine we would actually get this far between starting up again in the middle of 2020 to all the things we've been through between school and work and just life in general. We've made it here to episode 47 to close out 2021. And my, oh my, what a year it's been. Yeah, yeah. No, it has been a great year, Owen. And I, as I was just telling you before, I really appreciate the opportunity doing this. It's been great. And I hope anyone listening gets some utility out of it. We're all in this together. So. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And we, we do, before we get started with today's show, today's going to be a focus. Uh, today's show is going to be focused mostly on just recapping 2021 and, and talking about our biggest mm-hmm. moments and stories and, and kind of looking forward to 2022. So that's the kind of lay of the land for the show. We're not going to go into, you know, one sport and then another. It's just going to be very broad, overarching. And if we miss things from, from other sports, it's not because we don't care. It's just because we don't pay as much attention to them as, as the big ones. And, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. How much, you know, how much coverage do you really want of every single sport? But regardless, Willie, we had quite a few big moments in, in 2021. And that would not have been possible. The, the enjoyment of those moments and us having material to talk about and the will to talk about it. That would not be possible without our friends and family and you, our loyal listeners, who have listened yeah, absolutely. from the very beginning all the way until now. I just want to say on behalf of myself and Willie, thank you so much for supporting the show. I'm very excited about some of the stuff we're planning for 2022. I know that I said that at the end of 2020, but this time it's it's real because there's there's just so much more, I guess, where you, know, you feel more invigorated at the end of the year because you have a clean slate, you know, after doing this for a couple of years, we kind of have an idea of what works well, what doesn't, and things we're going to try. So a lot of stuff to look forward to in 2022. And we'll get to that kind of at the end of the show. Yeah, absolutely. But, but Willie, I, I want to start today's uh, first little segment. We're going to go through our top five moments of the year for both of us. Yeah. I cannot talk about this segment without mentioning a specific episode from January of 2021. The episode on January 15, 2021. I believe it was episode 21. Okay, sure. In 21, oddly enough. Okay. Willie, you said the evening of January 14th, when <laughs> yeah. we recorded that episode, you said the Atlanta Braves were winning the World Series this year. Yeah. You called it in January of yeah. 2021. About eight months later, nine months later, it happened. Actually, more like almost 10 months at that point. Mm-hmm. But either way, it happened. The city of Atlanta has its championship for the first time since yeah. 1995, the year you and I were both born, yeah. about seven days apart. And it is one of the things that reminds you. And we talk about this, obviously. We talked about it when the Braves initially won and, and the episodes after that. But it reminds you why you're sports fans, why you get to celebrate, and why yeah. you have pride for your city, your hometown. And it's... It's a extremely, it's just a very gratifying thing to know that you've supported something from the very beginning when things weren't going well to when they're going, you know, as well as they can to when you're at the top of the mountain. So to see that ascend throughout the course of the year and even, I mean, for the Braves, we're talking after the All-Star break when it was looking really bad as far as winning the World Series. I mean, you're talking about a team that won three straight division yeah. titles. 18, 19, and 20. 2021, not looking as great. But then the Mets kind of faltered on the stretch. The Phillies aren't as consistent. And all of a sudden, you're left with 
the Atlanta Braves, and they lost two more games than the Seattle Mariners. And the Braves won the World Series while the Mariners missed the playoffs. I don't mean that as a slight on the Mariners. I'm actually rooting for the Mariners in 2022 mm. yeah. very heavily mm-hmm. uh, as a as a adopted Seattleite. But it's just it it's one of those things where it feels still to this day incredibly unreal. I mean, this is December 16th, the day we're recording this. It doesn't feel real. The fact that we have a World Series champion in the city of Atlanta, in the state of Georgia. It doesn't feel real. Yeah, and and I got to say, Owen, I'm so happy for you. This is why you become a sports fan. It's just, and you and you become a loyal fan for moments like these. And the true fans know that this may never come. But if you're lucky enough, then those highs make it all worth it. You know, all those lows and all the time you spend, you know, maybe watching, following the teams when you could be doing other things. But, and, you know, just also... The, it felt like Owen and I, I. I'm honestly saying this, and you, you, you don't have to, to say it, but I will just say it. It honestly felt from an outside that Atlanta and the greater Georgia area sports were, were genuinely somewhat cursed. Like, and it, it just, it felt like nothing could ever go right. And so, to see this happen against the improbable odds, you know, it's got to make all of your fandom for all of those teams just so worth it you know all the lows all of the good teams that maybe struggled and all the other Atlanta teams you know it, it's all worth it in the end and that and that's what you're hoping for as a sports fan you know and you got to cherish those moments these are at the end of the day sports are memories and um you can always look back on your life and say yeah the Atlanta Braves won the 2021 World Series championship and no one can ever take that away it's a moment supplanted in history Yep. And and it's because of this podcast, Willie, that you and I have that extra layer. Mm. It's us having this dialogue throughout the season. I remember the day Ronald Acuna Jr. went down mm. injured, July 10th, 2021. Mm. I texted you after, maybe it was the day after it was confirmed that he's a, he had a torn mm. ACL. I said, Willie, it's over. Braves are done this year. There's no way they can okay. win the World Series without Acuna. And what do they do? Alex Anthopoulos obviously makes those four, those four famous deals and yeah. delivers Atlanta a championship. That, to me is something that will live on forever. I'll be able to tell my my grandkids and, you know, potentially great grandkids about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if I'm cer- if I ever have kids, I'll have to I'll, mm. they'll know that story sure. way too much, way too well. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um they will. And like I said, it's my my dad holds on to it. You know what I mean? My dad, like I said, my dad with Cleveland Sports holds on to it. And I think that for all the fans out there, you know, you it gives you hope. Right. I, I think that's the one thing, too. It's it's it always there's all it gives you some hope that, yeah, maybe one day my team will win because there's nothing worse than than. And I, I think with with this team on, you were starting to think, like I said, it was cursed and and maybe it would never happen. And so it gives every fan out there hope, you know, that, hey, my team one day, no matter if it's looking down, no matter if my team's in rebuild. All the fans out there, like this can happen. That's what makes these these moments special. You know, that's why they say sports are you know DVR proof on TV because mm-hmm. anything can happen. It's not scripted. It's it's yep. unpredictable. Yep, it's the greatest reality show that we have because you have no idea how it's ever going to happen. No, and a lot of the, the storylines you can't script. No. And, and Willie, I have four others that I think you, you just could not write this sure even better in okay. Hollywood. I mean, the best, most talented writers in Hollywood 
could not write any of these. Wow. Uh, okay. Like this, but we'll we'll get to those in a little bit. I want to know what one is one of your top five. We'll kind of. I mean, these for me, these are in no particular order. Obviously, the Same. Braves winning the World Series yep. is my my favorite. Like, sure. Just what the thing is. But yes. as far as how much weight each moment carries, it's it's yeah, it's different for each one of them. Sure, so sure. No, no two of them are the same. So so give me one of your top five moments of this year. Sure, sure. Um, so I have five in my head too. And um some of them are just we'll go through them. They're just some great moments in sports, and I hope the listeners will enjoy this. But four of them are great moments, and one of them is a personal one. And I guess I'll go with my personal one too, is I think Flashback to January 11th, 2021, when the the Cleveland Browns beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs, 48 to 37. And as a Browns fan, you know, um, my whole life, and particularly my dad, just a diehard fan, you know, that was our Super Bowl. And, you know, yeah, there was some expectations coming in that this team could actually contend with the Super Bowl. It doesn't look like it. We're 50-50 whether we're even going to make the playoffs. But that moment and the way it happened and going up almost four scores in the game and Pittsburgh going on a huge winning streak against Cleveland, Cleveland just being one of the worst franchises in any of the four major sports in, in, in the U.S. And I think that, that that was just such a feel-good story. And there were tears in my eyes almost watching that game. I just felt like it wasn't the Super Bowl, but everything for me was almost worth it. And I was yeah. like, "These team is exciting," and and that was incredible moment to take it to them like that, in that game. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the Steelers actually beat uh, the sorry the the Browns actually beat Pittsburgh. Was it twice in three weeks or twice in two weeks? Because yeah. they played them to end the regular right. season, and well, then they played them again in sure. the playoffs. Yeah, so they um they they did beat them the last week of the regular season just to get in the playoffs hmm. by t- by by two points, and we had to. Um, it came down right to the end of the game, but Pittsburgh was resting some players in that game. You know, they had nothing to play for. And so this was the first meaningful game that mm-hmm. in my lifetime, honestly, that we really won, <laughs> to be to be perfectly honest. So yeah. that for me personally, that, that was a special moment. And I think one of the better moments for casual fans, because I think a lot of people were rooting for Cleveland. So Yeah, I mean, and again, when we talk about the Browns, we have that inherent... You know, which which would you prefer? Would you prefer a team that makes the playoffs and, you know, eventually makes it to the Super Bowl, but then has, you know, say, uh, I'm, I'm just picking a random number here. No, no, no uh, sized lead in particular, a uh, 25 point lead in the second half of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, or would you just never make the playoffs and, and be, mm-hmm. you know, have the kind of the. I, I don't know what you would call it, but that just general. Mm-hmm. The general feeling with with the Browns. Would you rather have that, or would you rather have you know what the Falcons had in the Super Bowl? I don't, I don't know if there's a right answer, if there's a wrong answer. It just depends on your preference and your experience, mm-hmm. and you know, as a we've talked exactly. about this a lot, so I'm not going to exactly. spend a lot of time on it. But it just depends on what your preference is. But I, I do, I do really like that moment. And I really appreciate the uh, how sure. it, how it, um, uh, how it made you and your dad kind of look at the Browns as, as a team and in, in, in the context of your lifetime, yeah. but also your dad's lifetime too. So yeah, I, it definitely I'll, I'll cherish that has moment to feel with good. my dad. I'll cherish yes. that moment with my dad. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Yeah, what both you of got? our dads being big, uh, yeah, big Browns, Browns fans. Yes, that's that's huge. Right. What you got for number two? There you go. For number so two. number two, uh, is a moment that I, I'm still trying to figure out how this happened. Okay. Uh, I'm sure the rest of the sporting world in this particular sport, uh, that being soccer, 
is still trying to figure out how this happened. Okay. Uh, but Liverpool, we know in in 2020, 2021, what their what their story was. Virgil Van Dyke goes down injured. I think it was the eighth game yes. of the Premier League season against uh, Everton. Who you know, less said about that, the better. Uh, goes down injured, and it seems like every other center back on the mm-hmm. team goes down hurt. And at that point, midfielders are playing center back. Sure. They get injured too, and there's just no chance. Mm-hmm. Even at the even at the uh, even at the transfer window, bringing in two center backs didn't really help. One never saw the field. Another sure. was kind of. You know, average to decent, but not good enough to really yeah. lead the defensive unit like mm-hmm. Van Dyke would. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Liverpool go on a run towards the end of the season. It's a, a partnership of Nat Phillips and Reese Williams. Yes. And I'm not talking about this long stretch. It's one singular moment that put Liverpool in the Champions League. And as the way, even yes. if, if this moment doesn't happen, Liverpool would have been in the Champions yes. League anyway, just based on how the results went on the final day. But Allison's header in the 96th minute, I think it was, against West Brom was one of the most incredible things that you, you watch that clip over and over and over again. And you're still just like, yeah, in the context of that season, knowing what was on the line and who scored that goal in light of what happened to him personally that year in earlier this year in 2021, it's that's why I'm a firm believer that you cannot script any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, so and it's crazy because watching a lot of the Premier League this year, I just want to say that the team looks so different. But it was what an incredible moment that was, Owen. And uh, it was, like you say, I mean, I'll always remember that. That was one of the craziest, you know, endings to a season. That was an iconic moment in, in Liverpool history. And it, it, it is truly going to be a moment, like you said, Owen, I think that certain teams – you know, you always remember certain games or certain goals. And I think that that one is always going to be remembered for the bizarreness of it and, and the significance of it, you know? So as a Liverpool fan, I can totally see that. And, uh, you know, you could also say, well, hey, think about how much significance that has because now Liverpool is, you know, right there with Man City going toe-to-toe. They're undefeated in their group in the Champions League. But... Without that, they wouldn't even be in the Champions League. Who knows what the spirit would be, or, you know, all of this. So, just crazy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and the other thing is, since this is the uh, second to last year of Salah's contract, mm-hmm. you know, if Liverpool don't make Champions League for this coming season, if they didn't make it this year, there there's a good chance that Salah wants out, that Mane wants out, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the more experienced players, that maybe even Van Dijk wants out. I mean, yeah. they, they come to Liverpool to play for Klopp, not just to play in the Premier League, but yeah. to play for the Champions League because Klopp has won that with Liverpool. Yeah. He's won the Premier League with Liverpool. They want to they yeah. win trophies. They want to play for the big prizes. And without yeah. the Champions League, you don't have a lot right. to offer players on the market who you're trying to attract. Now, obviously, you can throw a lot of money at them. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> trust me, money talks. Yes. Uh, but it's it's another question of, you know, when you're at that level and you've been at that level for years and you want to take the next step in your career, is it really the right thing to to say, I just want to get paid well, or does it is it I want to win the Champions League? And and yeah. without Allison's header, there's there's no there's no Champions League. I mean, no. you would assume, but they, they as the results went, even without the header, they wouldn't have made it to Champions League, but maybe they yeah. don't because other teams around the league have something less to play for. And it's, you know, it's a question of uh, if and or what, but 
you, you, I mean, I'll say two things. I think one, like you said, you may lose players. I mean, I think we, I'll talk about this, you know, Mo Salah is the big one. He looks like arguably the best player in the world this season. Um, you know, without that, he's a guy that, that, that genuinely might leave. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know about Van Dyke or Mane, but maybe Salah for sure. And I think with how good this team is this year, and, you know, it'll just be one of these things when you look back in history and you talk about the Klopp years, this will be the moment. Like you say, oh, you remember that game, uh, the the Allison game, you know? This will be something you always remember from his seven, eight-year spell, probably, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah uh, iconic moment. And on the flip side for Leicester City, I just want to say real quick, I mean, they did have their one special moment for the title, but with how... Um, bad this year is going uh you know collapsing on the final day first against Bournemouth and then against you know against the you know Liverpool last year season uh you know just two straight years where they could have made the top four and they didn't so um tough tough pill to swallow yeah and you know obviously we're only we're only what 20 Four or five odd games into the season, maybe uh, more than that. 16, I think 17. 17. 17 yeah. Okay, wow. Way <laughs> off. 17 <laughs> games the into the season. The it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> 17 games into the season, and and realistically, nothing is, you know, the book hasn't been written on anyone yet. Uh, there's starting to be a little bit of separation between City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. I think Chelsea, I think you guys are eight points above Arsenal at this point and three behind yeah, Liverpool. Nine, I believe nine and three behind Liverpool nine, and four th- behind yeah, Man so, City. So there's a bit of a gap at the very top, but the race for top four, top six, yeah. those are interesting. And the relegation fights are going to be dog fights, especially since Newcastle are still in the drop zone and they're going to have a lot of money to spend in January. Mm-hmm. So... Who knows what they're able to do? And, and Eddie Howe is a great manager. I think he just needs a little bit of time to get the team on the same page as far as what he wants to do and, and the objectives they they are, are you know aiming for as a club to, to stay up and be able to attract the big names. Because obviously when you have the amount of money that they do, yes. you know, it doesn't become a question when you're looking to bring in the top names in world football. And you play in the Premier League, obviously they won't have Champions League, but yep. that only takes one season to fix. One so, season. Incredible moment. Oh. Oh, that's Owen. That's a fantastic um, selection, on Like that's yeah, a, that's so. legitimately a, a fantastic selection. So that's that's my second. And sure. again, these are in no particular order. Yeah, same so. here. Yeah, so I'll stay on the soccer front for. I, I'm going to go to. Uh, I'm going to throw two and one and go to one weekend in in uh, the second week of July. Um, go, I'm going to go national team. So. Copa America final, Argentina beats Brazil 1-0, and the following day, Italy beats England in penalty kicks, and particularly that, you know, first off, with regards to the the Copa America final, that's the game we'll always remember, where Messi got his major trophy, and while I believe Di Maria was the one who scored in that game, uh, Messi did have a very good tournament, he scored, I think, four goals, something like that, and he, he was very good. Um, and you know, for the soccer fans out there, the, the big knock was, you know, Argentina has not won a major tournament. They had lost in multiple Copa America finals. They had made it to the world cup final and they had lost. And so this will be a moment and just seeing him in tears on the field for a soccer fan was such a special moment. Mm. And then on the flip side, um, to see England who hadn't won a major tournament in such an epic game. I mean, that, that game I think will 
will go down in memory too, just like that Liverpool game. That will be an instant classic that'll be, you know, replayed for years. You know, Italy, the much better team possessing the ball, but England did get the goal. They go ahead in the game. You know, they're playing at home in Wembley Stadium. And Benucci equalizes, and then there's so much tension. And, you know, Donnarumma saves some PKs. Italy wins. And uh, just heartbreak. But um, just that that game for me was one of the so one one soccer game that I will remember for a long time. That that Euro twenty twenty technically final. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Two two massive games, Willie, right there. But you know that international football is is one that a lot of casual fans really really love, mm-hmm. even if they're not big you know club fans. My dad's one of those people specifically. He'll watch the World Cup. He may even watch the Euro finals, but you know it's those mm-hmm. single moments playing for your country. In, in those environments when mm-hmm. Italy was the team of the tournament, obviously, and you know, the eventual mm-hmm. uh, winners, but the way they played and the way England withstood all the pressure and, and were able to stay in the game for as long as they were and, and mm-hmm. just to have it kind of devolve into what it did with the penalties and then the abuse that Sancho mm-hmm. and Saka um, mm-hmm. and who was the, uh, Rashford uh, received, number one, completely uncalled for as with, with any instance, but terrible. that... That specifically, I mean, l- l- I just want to take a quick second. Whoever made the decision to put those three young guys in yeah. the five uh, <laughs> among the five penalty takers is is that that needs to be questioned more so than anything because yeah, they yes, yeah. they're top players. They yep. play for top clubs. They're the best of the best. They yes. they know how good they are. But in a tournament like this, mm-hmm. when you have the experienced players. On your roster, and the ones who take the penalties are three of the youngest players in the squad. Mm-hmm. Something needs to be said about the decision-making process because mm-hmm. I, I get it; it's, you're showing faith in a young kid, but also, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully none of them seem to really be phased by it. Um, you could argue Sancho, maybe, but that's you know, there's mm-hmm. a whole different set of circumstances with that. But none of them are really phased by it. I mean, Saka is playing well, Rashford. Yes, was injured for a while, but he's coming back and kind of rounding into the, the Marcus yep. Rashford we all kind of know. Sure. Um, and then Sanchez having a tough a tough little spell at United, but he, he got his first goal recently, and yeah, and you know it's an adjustment from the German game to the English game for sure. But you know, yeah. just going back to that, it, there's a lot of little talking points you can take away from that tournament, but it just that game specifically will go down like you're saying uh, as an instant classic. So yeah, it will. It- I love those games. That's why we watch sports, right? Those history mm-hmm. moments. And yeah, you said it rightfully so. And I mean, you know, I was, I forgot who was, it was, uh, um, for, I was, I was watching, um, the, they call it the, um, the, the overlap with Gary Neville where he does the show on Sky Sports. And he, he was talking with Frank Lampard, a, an in-depth kind of tell-all interview for an hour. And he was talking about how, after one of the World Cups, he was just berated by the fans the following year by saying he let down the whole country. So, yes, Arsenal are you know in the fourth spot at the moment. But hearing, particularly, it seemed like Bakari Saka not only experiencing the abuse, but he seemed maybe he he's played well. But I think that supposedly you know he was really affected. He he said internally by everything that happened, and um, it's really sad. There's no place for all the abuse, but also. Even besides the abuse, just the amount of pride that people have in national team, you know, soccer. And so 
to fall short like that, be put in a tough position where, you know, you're not on the field in the case of, you know, Sancho and Rashford, it's just gutting. And um, who knows if England in our lifetime will ever win a major trophy, right? But but that was the chance. And uh, for sure, that was an instant classic. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of those things where, it, we'll never know for sure, Willie, if it's coming home in the future. No, we'll never know. We'll, we'll never know. We'll never maybe know. It will. Maybe it will. Maybe they'll they'll hoist that World Cup trophy. Maybe Kane will finally get a trophy. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, That's right. I, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit, and and this is not to bring our show to a, a, a screeching halt as far as kind of the energy levels, but I do want to make mention that this was a huge moment in this year when I look back on it. Um, it's not a positive one in the slightest, but it's a moment that reminds us all of a few very important things. Number one, that life is too short, uh, and it can Mm. end at any time. Yeah. Uh, and I want to mention that Tiger Woods car accident was probably in golf for me personally, the biggest story of the year, because I was just thinking who, who won each major, who won the big tournaments, who won the FedEx cup to me, nothing matters. The only thing that matters is that the face of the sport, the guy who has been the poster child for golf for the better part of, I would say at this point, 30 odd years, pretty much since he played Mm -hmm. at Riviera in the LA Open for the first time, he's been the face of the sport. And to hear the reports that, you know, he very easily could have died in that car crash. uh, Those reports remind you that number one, life is too short, but also too, that this is an individual who impacted not just one entire sport sure. by himself, but really the American sporting just profile because mm-hmm. at the same time that Michael Jordan had his brand and really started to to have an imprint as a global superstar, guess who one of his close friends was? Guess who was yeah. also signed with Nike? Yeah. It was Tiger Woods. Yeah. And so yeah. there's a lot of parallels with, you know, obviously Michael Jordan, who's synonymous with the greatest athletes of all time, we have to put Tiger Woods in that conversation, yeah. not just from an athletic standpoint, because obviously golf is different and it's, you know, one of mm-hmm. the, one of the quote unquote skill sports yeah. as a, you know, when it comes to hand-eye coordination rather than, you know, pure athleticism, if you will. But that that's for another, uh, another time. But what I'm getting at Willie is that his impact on the just global, I, at yeah. the point, global sporting profile can't really be measured. And so when you have that possibility that, Hey, this guy could have died in a car crash. Like this is, this is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. and to see not only and to to put a positive end on this little note, to see that he's going to play this weekend in the PNC Championship with his son Charlie is that was probably the best news that we any of us could have gotten yeah. in in the golfing sure. the greater golfing no. fandom because seeing seeing the the images from the car crash and hearing the stories about how badly his leg was broken to seeing that he's going to be playing with his son in a turn. I mean, yes, it's a father. It's a, you know, yeah. a family oriented tournament. I think, um, mm-hmm. uh, John Daly's playing with his son. Yeah. Gary player is going to play in the tournament, yeah. uh, yeah. at 87 years old, you know, so it's, it's not a serious yeah. tournament by any stretch, but just to see that tiger woods is healthy and yeah. able to number one, swing a golf club, but number two, play golf in any sort of competition is, I mean, I, I was so happy when I saw that notification and I personally, if, if he doesn't ever tee it up on the PGA tour again, I won't be surprised, but if he wins again, I will not be yeah. shocked. 
I, I think that he said that um, he will wants to play the big events, but not you know many be a full time PGA Tour guy. But oh, and first of all, that that is a you 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 captured um, I think one of the most. You're right that this that this belongs on the list. Um, obviously, in a sad way, um, but. This was definitely one of the biggest moments in sports. Absolutely, one one million percent. Um, you know, I remember. Um, first of all, just thank God he's alive, um, and as a human, that he's able yes. to take care of his kids and he's yes. able to walk and forget golf. Um, but yeah, oh, and I mean, at the time, and as sad as it still is, and seeing the images of, of of the horrific car crash and the dents of the car is still scarring, but I'm glad that, like I said, he's, he's alive. And it really felt like a Kobe moment, you know, unlike you, you know, I was, um, I forgot what I was doing. Uh, I think I was in between class and I remember I, I, I watched TV coverage on the golf channel live and I, um, legitimately was worried that he, he, he was going to be dead. And, Absolutely. This was something that makes you, just like COVID, uh, be thankful for everyone around you that is still here. But also just, uh, like you said, Owen, I mean, this this moment will we'll always remember when, when this happened. Um, it's it's a, a really sad moment. Um, it, but it, it will be remembered in history. And I just want to branch off quickly for a second and mention, I, I wasn't going to mention this. Because it escaped my mind, but I do. I do just want to mention, not as my third choice, but something very similar. Well, not similar, but something that um, was on a, a note that I think, in a really in a, a positive way, ultimately enhanced the discourse. Was um, a huge moment in sports was when Osaka um, decided that she wanted to quit the French Open and and not speak to the media. And ultimately, I'm really thankful for everything that's happened. Um, even though there are some things I, I do disagree with, she's a huge advocate of mental health, and she, this was a huge moment. She took several months off of tennis, um, and I'm really thankful that she's really opened the door for a lot of mental health um, people out there who, who need a voice, you know. And I think, as someone myself who's gone through this. Um, it's completely excused. You never know what people are going through in their head, you know? Mm. And um, so, so yeah, like, I, I really appreciate her coming out and saying this stuff. And I completely understand what she's saying because we don't want to cause any stress on people, A, and B. You know, there's, you never, one of the biggest things in life you can do is try to think about what other people are going through whenever they act and, and do something. And we need to think about it 95% of the time, but we never do. And so I'm really grateful. And, and my view on the matters have kind of changed since it happened. Um, and so I'm for her. And so I'm, I'm really glad, glad that she's opened a lot of discussion about it. And it took someone like her, I think that really moved the sports world. So mm. I'm really glad. Yeah. Her, and Simone Biles, particularly two yeah, women Simone of color, Biles two too. prominent women of color in the sporting world, standing up for themselves and saying, 
mental health matters a lot to me. Yes. And I'm going to show you how much it matters Simone to me. Simone Biles was a great example. I mean, she, best gymnast in the world still. She would have won the all-around. Um, in Rio, she was she won everything. And uh, she showed the world, hey, no matter what, this is way more important. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, for yeah. sure. And mm-hmm. Progress would not be possible without people like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles. And we can't forget to mention that and that those are two huge stories this year yeah no no absolutely on i mean just absolutely um incredible incredible um okay uh so i have yeah a couple good ones i'm gonna save for last but um number three um i am gonna go and say phil mickelson winning the pga championship at 48 years old was has to be one of the moments we'll always remember. I could not believe watching it. You know, in sports, we sometimes we really root for either underdogs or just greatness and really special stories. And I felt like this was a really good mix of both just kind of an underdog story because Phil Mickelson, he'd won the, you know, at Pebble Beach, I believe in 2020, but he never, you know, most people thought he was basically done. He, you know, he'd won, he'd played some events on the champions tour. Um, he, he was showing, doing terribly coming into it. And through the first, I think 27 holes, I mean, it was three or four over par. And it was one of the, just the greatest stretches of, of however many holes that is. And then just such an unbelievable moment that I'll always remember on. I don't know about you. 50 years, 11 months, and seven days old when he won the PGA. I just double-checked. And, and 50 years, okay. I, 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 want, I want people at home listening to this or just wherever you're listening to this, I, I want to be very clear about one thing with, with Phil Mickelson. Mm-hmm. Keel Island, the ocean course, is an incredibly hard golf course. Mm-hmm. He finished that tournament at the age of 50. 50. At six under par. In those conditions, 50 years old, six under par for four rounds. I cannot tell you how good that is. And it's one of those reminders that golf is one of those rare sports in the world where no matter your age, within a certain point, game will travel. It travels Mm -hmm. anywhere. And it's a point where no matter what your opinion of him is, you have to respect that he is one of the greatest golfers of all time. Absolutely. And that is the... That was... His moment in comparison to Tiger winning at Augusta in 2019. That was his comparison to that. I mean, obviously, it's not on the same level as Tiger. I mean, you could argue maybe one other golfer in history is even close to Tiger. But that is his his defining moment as, as a golfer. It's not winning the Open Championship. It's not winning the Masters for the first time. It's this one. It's the last major he's going to win. Well, I mean, unless he goes and, and does the unthinkable and wins the major at 51, which would be, uh, that would be insanity. That would be, yeah, I mean, you know what, Owen? I think it's right up there. I think, and it's a nice kind of wrap up. I don't want to say wrap up, but one of them to its career. And um, I think that um, it will be, I, I think it's, Hard. I mean, he's had so many close calls at majors. I think 2006 at Wingfoot, I believe, it has to be, I think, number one still. I mean, I can't tell you how many times 
I've watched that hole and his drive <laughs> that hit and, you know, hit the the player stand and then where and then him talk about just replaying this hole. But it, this will be right up there. And it's like you said, this might be his defining. Moment. I mean, look, Ellen, I, I, you know, honestly, this might sound while the Tiger Woods probably story is more popular. I'm not talking about the car crash. Uh, that was terrible. But I mean, overcoming all odds, you know, to win um, the Masters, I, I think that would you agree? I mean, I think this might have been it was probably more impressive, to be honest. Mm, I mean, <laughs> it, it's hard to argue against Tiger With winning a tournament in that circumstance against a field of players that he inspired in the circumstances that he did when people thought he wasn't going to be able to, you know, people didn't think he's going to be able to play golf again at one point after his fusion back surgery. And, and it, it got to the point where, you know, his body has deteriorated past the point of, of return. And, uh, it, and what does he do? He shocks the entire world. And I, I still, I still will hold that as one of his greatest moments ever. I mean, I, we could talk about tiger and Phil and golf for, for hours, but I'll, I'll just say that, you have to come with something pretty impressive to to compare to Tiger in 2019, and yeah. this one I I don't know if it's all the way up there. It 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 tries to be up there. I'll put it that way, yeah. put it politely. No, that's fair. That's fair. But that's not a takeaway from it. It's still impressive. No, and no, it's, it's still one of the moments of the year for sure. For sure, absolutely. Yeah. Probably Tiger is probably still number one in that sense. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's hard to argue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Willie, my my number four, and again, this is no particular order, but the fourth moment I want to share with you all mm-hmm. is one that, Willie, you and I experienced together. It was game three of the okay. NLCS against Dodgers, Braves-Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. Uh, for folks who don't live in L.A. Mm-hmm. and aren't as familiar, Dodger Stadium is gigantic. It is a 55,000 capacity ballpark, one of the biggest in the country, one of the biggest in the country. I think it, it capacity wise might be the biggest. Um, it is an experience going to a Dodgers game versus in other cities. It's going to a baseball game. When you go to a Dodgers game, it's a Dodgers game. It's not a baseball game. Yeah, it is loud, energetic, chaotic, yep. and more fun than baseball games at other venues. I would argue uh, yeah. by by a long shot. And for it to be the game that it was, the time of day that it was, Willie, this is a 2 o'clock p.m. first pitch. Like, I, once the Braves made it to the NLCS, I found a game and I bought tickets that night. The next morning, I texted my boss and I said, hey, listen, I don't ever ask for this, mm-hmm. but, you know, the Braves are playing in the NLCS at Dodger Stadium. This has not happened in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if I could take the afternoon off and go to this game, I will be forever grateful and my boss was willing to, you know, to he was fine with me doing that. And so you and I got to go with my girlfriend and her her family. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my favorite baseball memories, even though the way the game ended for the Braves is classic Atlanta. It doesn't you know, I can laugh about it now. If the Braves ended up losing the NLCS, then I would have a very different perspective on this game. I'd still probably say it's one of my sporting moments of the year just being at that game. But to be able to experience not just a playoff game at Dodger Stadium, mm-hmm. but an NLCS game at Dodger Stadium against the same team that took them to Game 7 the year before. I mean, how, how yeah. many storylines were there in this one particular game, but within the greater series as a whole? 
because the Dodgers were down two games to nothing. First two games in Atlanta, both walked off by the Braves. And they only had a home field because they won the division and the Dodgers happened to win yeah. 18 more games than yeah. the Braves only to not have home field in that series. So there's so many different storylines and things to think about with that series. And you and I were talking back and forth all game long about, you know, this, that, and the other related to baseball. You, you and I are completely nerding out while my girlfriend and her family were kind of yeah. just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, really, one of my moments of the year. Just being at that I'm, game. I'm so I'm we're so grateful to have had that experience for you. And and that game was great, in my opinion, for three reasons. Number one, just zooming in, how crazy Dodger Stadium was and how out of nowhere that was. And how how just you know, Luke Jackson blowing it and just how unexpected that was, but that's what makes Dodger Stadium so great. You know, we love baseball, and there are so many times throughout the year, even that while people say there's nothing like it in the playoffs, so it was great to be there. Just the amount of times, even in the regular season, the Dodgers typically can have those late comebacks. So to experience that was great. But I think zooming in big picture, I think you'll always remember it, Owen. I think this was part of the 2021 Atlanta Braves in their run. Remember that game three where they – um, you know, where, you know, it looked like the series was over, but then all of a sudden we thought the series was over and, and you said Dodgers in six. So, um, this will always be part of the history books. And even though the Braves won for that and two, co- uh, and, and I just want to say too, oh, and I've thought a lot about baseball since the season's ended and, the more and more I, I I come to grips with it, the more and more I, I I I just even more and more so think how great that Dodgers team was and how they were one of the best teams of all time and just how incredible it was they beat them. So just a great moment on that. I'll always remember that game. I'm I'm so grateful. You know? Yeah. That to me, that game is the best baseball game I've ever been to. Yeah, uh, I've been to some really exciting baseball games, but nothing like a playoff game of that magnitude featuring my hometown team and the team in my uh, current city yeah. you know, being the the yeah. multi-billion dollar L.A. Dodgers and yeah. the, the somewhat stingy Atlanta Braves. And we could go on and on about us. And we, we have gone on and on about this very same issue repeatedly on the show, which I will not apologize for because go Braves. <laughs> Uh, but we do need to move on, Willie. Uh, sure. I want to hear your fourth uh, your okay. fourth moment of sure. 2021. So I'm going to save my best for last. So I actually am going to save legitimately my best for last. I think mm. it's only fitting if we're giving an honest recap of the year. So um, I'm going to save my best for last. With that in mind, I'm going to go to something we, we didn't really talk about much, but I'm going to go to tennis. And I just thought that, um, I, you know, I love tennis. And I thought that this season just had so many epic storylines in both the men's and the women's side. But focusing on the men's side, um, I just think that, you know, that day on September 12th, 2021, I'll never forget where um, Novak Djokovic was going for the calendar slam. And he had won four majors in a row, not in a calendar year, but to win uh, a calendar slam, um is such a huge deal in tennis. It hadn't been done in, in almost 50 years and um, by basically only Rod Laver, I believe. And um, 
would have really a lot of people think cemented him as the greatest, you know, men's player of all time. And to see the way the whole season, his whole season unfolded, you know, going to the Australian Open, you know, overcoming an injury and kind of breezing through it like he always does. I'll never forget the French Open. Just legitimately crazy. Um, he, uh, you know, he beat Nadal, and a lot of people think what in the third set of that match was probably the greatest set that's ever been played in tennis. Two of maybe the two best players in all time playing their absolute best uh, at once on clay, where Nadal's so good, and then he also won including the final two other matches from two sets to none down, which was incredible. Breeze through Wimbledon. And then, you know, he, there's talk about going to the Golden Slam, which only Steffi Graf has ever done. No men player had ever done. And, you know, he loses the Golden Slam, but he still has a chance to make the, the calendar slam. And he comes up short in the final. He loses in straight sets. And I just thought, oh, and as sports fans, we crave history. And, um, I think that was something that will always be remembered, and I think a lot of casual people tuned into that as well. That's a moment I'll never forget, and that might be the closest we ever see. You know, we, we weren't alive when the Tiger Slam happened. Or, well, we were. We were alive, sorry. But, you know, in... in uh, we Five, were, six years old. Yeah, you know, we were... just not going to remember that. Yeah, so something as great as that, may we never may see greatness like that in a sport. I mean... You could say maybe, to be honest, the Alabama team that won the college football championship last season was like absolutely insane. But, you know, for an individual sport, that was history that came up short at the at the finish. So, yeah. Yep. No, that's that's a good one, Willie. And and just to clarify for our listeners, uh, the difference between a Golden Slam and a Calendar Slam is... Yeah, so the Golden Slam, which has only been done once in the history of tennis by Steffi Graf, and it's incredibly hard to do. The Golden Slam is you win both, you win uh, all four majors in the same calendar year and the Olympic gold. Got it. Okay, so it's it's the gold that I think is, that that is. Yes. That makes sense. Yes. Okay, I so not just for the listeners. I also wasn't aware of what yeah, it was. No, I mean, no, I haven't I haven't followed no tennis fall. closely. I haven't followed tennis closely since no I was, I think, like 15, yeah. 14 or 15. No, so. no. All good. But no, I like that. It okay. throws a bit of variety into some of our picks. I mean, mine are all, now that I look at them, they're all baseball, soccer, and golf, which, no, are, which are sports all, we talk about almost oh. exclusively. But yes. you know, we, we mention other things as necessary. Sure. Yes. Uh, Willie, I'll give you, and this kind of goes into one of my stories of the year, if not my, my story of the year. And, okay. and this is above even the Braves winning the World Series. To me, just as an objective... Uh, baseball fan as much mm-hmm. as I can be it's watching the all-star game in July and watching Shohei Otani take the mound and turn around and bat lead off oh. in the same game uh, oh, yeah. that to me is and again we've talked about the blackouts and the inability for a lot of folks you and I specifically who live in the LA area but if we don't have cable we can't watch Otani we can't watch the Dodgers yeah. Uh, and and the ridiculousness of that, but just seeing that we not only got the Japanese Babe Ruth, we got someone who's 
arguably better than that. And when you are saying someone is on or above the level of one of the true historic yeah. icons yeah. of just this country, not just baseball, but this country in general, like yeah. everyone knows who Babe Ruth is, but the fact that it's a guy named Shohei Otani, that he's not even American to me in conjunction with the season that he had and the context that he had ultimately capped off by that American league MVP, the unanimous American American league MVP. I might add uh, to me, that is, that was just the, the realization that this is probably never going to happen again, mm-hmm. at least in our lifetimes. I would be shocked if we had another two way player this good in our lifetime. Oh, and I, I'm so glad that you chose that. It's so hard to do it. And I mean, if we were just doing baseball, I would pick more baseball. But I mean, oh, and that has to be on there. That's definitely worthy of, like you said, I mean, that game where he, he bat, you know, lead off and pitched, it just encapsulates why this was probably the greatest individual season that's ever happened. And a moment that people in sports, you know, should never forget. And you're right. This will live down in the history books. And look, let's be honest. Otani's so good. I guess I, but I look, I would be very surprised if, I don't know about you, but if he plays at that level again, even if he's good, I'm sure he'll still be in contention for an all-star, but to, to hit as well as he did while also being a very good pitcher it's just incredible, and you're absolutely right, Owen. That that moment is one of the most significant. That's this season was one of the most significant seasons in baseball history for that reason. Yep. Yeah, I I absolutely. don't know. I don't know if you can argue against the single individual season Shohei Otani had. And by the way, I I just want everyone at home to be cognizant of this fact as well. So. Shohei Otani was the unanimous AL MVP this year. He received all 30 votes yeah. for MVP. Incredible. The guy who finished second, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Willie, do you know how many how many second place votes he received? <laughs> um it was, a, it, was a, it was a lot. I mean 28 out of 30. Yeah. So, if not for Shohei Otani, we are looking at the potential to have basically two unanimous MVPs, unanimous MVPs yeah. in the same year. Absolutely. I mean, that's how incredible it, it was for Otani. And, and Marcus Simeon set the record for most home runs by a second baseman in baseball history in a season and was phenomenal all around the board for the Blue Jays. Didn't even get a, a whiff of first place. I mean, the, the voting and the process by which players are selected to you know win MVP and Cy Young, it's all based on a small group of journalists who you know may or may not watch every game played by every team across the board. So you know you can you can argue quite a few things about the the legitimacy of of the MVP award. But what I will say is that it this season by Otani is going to be one you have to do really really good to do anything better than that yeah i know absolutely on i 
I don't think anyone can really do anything better of it. I, I, I don't. Not, I, not I, in today's I, game. I, I, I really don't think so. I, you know, it's, it's hard. You know, it's very hard. Um, a glass of wine here to Shohei Otani to uh, commemorate cheers. his season. Cheers, 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 mate. Uh, incredible, you know. Um, okay. Uh, I guess I'll give my last one and, um. But I, I will I will just say real quick before I give my last one that if I it's interesting I I will, I will say this own um, if I hadn't uh, picked this one like if I had to pick one one baseball thing. Uh, another like a uh, one that wasn't in here. This is not my fifth one, but I do just want to say that if I had to pick one um, baseball thing that wasn't in here, do you know what you know what it would be? Mm. Otani. Well, no, that that wasn't in here. Oh, that wasn't in here. That wasn't uh, already named. So the Braves and and the uh, Braves Otani. Uh, oh, okay. What else happened this year? Uh, the lockout? No. Good guess. Free mm. agent storage stops? No. Huh. In season, not not in, in not, season. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um. Talked about. Uh. I'm stumped. What do you got? Okay, I mean, and this is gonna sound, this is gonna sound uh, interesting, Owen. But I, I do think it's worth, it's really worth mentioning, Owen. To be honest with you, Owen, I, I, I legitimately think there's a lot of things we could say that happen on field. But to me, honestly, there's two moments that really stick out in my head and encapsulate everything. It goes back to the unwritten rules. The two moments that I always remember are the argument that Max Scherzer had with Joe Girardi about, you know, Joe Girardi telling the umpire to check Max Scherzer for um, substance on his hand. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the Fernando Tatis looking behind him (laughs) at at the catcher. And I just think it's interesting because you see this in the NBA, but I legitimately think these changes to the rules will have huge impacts on, on the sport. And I just wanted to acknowledge that because I think that's one thing that I will remember about mm. the season. Um, no, those are those are two big ones, Willie. I think that the second one you mentioned is 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 arguably the it's the sexier one for sure. But I think it's it's one worth mentioning more, purely based on the fact that you have one of the budding faces, if not the current face of baseball, you know, alongside Shohei Otani, who plays the game in a way that is unfamiliar to guys. You know, our dad's age. Yeah. Uh, same age as, you know, both of our dads. It 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 doesn't sit well with them and the fact that the game <laughs> no. is played with excessive emotion. And I won't even say excessive in a bad way. Just just letting all of your emotion, your years of blood, sweat, and tears working to make it to the big leagues, all of it coming together yep. in, in the form of a, a tape measure home run sure. or a walk-off hit or, you know, striking yeah. out the side. to Playing the game with an emotion level that we haven't seen consistently across the board in the sport. Uh, and, and just with a, a carefree 
attitude of I don't care if your feelings get hurt. If you give up a 500 foot bomb, I'm going to flip this bat right in your face. Uh, it's not to show you up. It's to show the world that I can hit a 500 foot bomb. And if you want to throw at me, fine, throw at me. But everyone knows that it's you, the pitcher, being weak and not understanding that, hey, you made a mistake. And <laughs> at the top at the top level, you make a mistake, you are going to be punished. And there's very little room for error when the hitters are that good. And, and you know, we could talk about the foreign substances and how that affects certain pitchers. Tyler Glass now is an example of... Yeah. of yeah, yeah. Major League Baseball implementing the rule way too quickly and not putting enough development and research into what they could what they could do in the offseason to really fix the problem that they had. Um and he was he was a guy who said, Look, I got hurt because they sure. didn't know what they were doing with foreign substances. They made us stop using things immediately. It's kind of understood that all pitchers use this and you know it it when you're throwing as hard as he was at the time and you're when you're snapping off breaking balls off of a 99 mile an hour fastball, something's going to give. And unfortunately for Tyler Glass now, it was the UCL on his elbow. And that is something that never should happen. Yeah, no, so, I, sure. But but you're right, Willie. The game is trending in a direction that is uncomfortable for a lot of older folks. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, be that whatever it is, the outcome, uh, I think it'll it'll certainly live on for a long time now. You could talk about the yeah. the quote unquote sign stealing by Tatis, but really, even if you know what's coming, and and I, I don't mean like Houston Astros level telegraphed, but even if you have an idea of what's coming, you may not know where it's going to be. Yeah, no, and I, sure. Again, this is not to defend the Houston Astros. The Astros, what the Astros did is un sure. unforgivable. Sure. So let's make that abundantly clear. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think um, I'll just say. I mean, I, I I think it's worth the mention because. It, it, this stuff is going to have a profound impact on the sport moving forward. With regards to the foreign substances, first, Glass now is a great shout. It's an example of someone getting injured. There are several other players that that complained for that reason about them not being able to grip the ball, them getting injured, um, as well as players struggling. And that's going to be something going forward that is really going to have a huge impact. I think we'll look back in five and six years and say that – um, the number of runs scored and the number of injuries changed uh, because of it. And um, yeah, Owen, with regards to that, I just think that you're right, Owen. Tatis, because of how good he is uh, and uh, because of, you know, he, uh, he's a fr he plays the game a certain way, which I, would, I agree most of it's good, it does make a lot of people uncomfortable. And I feel like out of all the things they did, for sure, the looking behind, the peeking at the sign when Bauer was pitching was the one that gets, you know, the most attention and something that I'll always remember and uh, something, like you said, that people are uncomfortable with. And so I think that, yeah, I think that's something going forward that I, I just think it's kind of one of these things where, you know, you see how different sports want to handle these things. But I think that ultimately this is a, uh, both of these things are kind of at the forefront of where baseball wants to go. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. But yeah, man, I'll give my number five. And I do just think we do have to mention it. Um, I just think that there are several Olympic moments. I, I think anytime the Olympics is there, they come once every four years. Winter is coming within the next two months. So that that's very exciting. Um, I, I watched 
TV every day. <laughs> I watch the Olympics. Different people are into it, but I, I, I love it. And um, there's so many moments, Owen. I mean, so many odds across athletes from all different countries, from all different sports that stand out. But if I had to pick a few that really, I think, on moments that are really for the masses, uh, really unforgettable. I think number one, the number one thing that people will remember from this Olympics is Allison Felix becoming winning the most medals of any track and field athlete ever. Um, I believe not just U.S. I believe all time. Um, and to see her in her mid 30s do it, both by uh, at, in her fifth Olympics was incredible. Um, I think that there were, and on the subject of track, I do just want to mention that two of the, in my opinion, best races that I've ever seen, I, I think legitimately track, you know, track and field is one of the biggest sports in the Olympics. And I think there were legitimately two of the greatest like races of all time, both in hurdles, the 400 and 200 meter hurdles with uh, the women and the men. They were just literally absolutely incredible. Um uh, and so that, um, and then I, th I just think that branching, branching outside of that, I would say, um, two moments, two more moments that I think really stand out are number one, you, you hit it, uh, Simone Biles deciding to, to withdraw Gymnastics is arguably the most popular sport, and her deciding to withdraw from several individual events was an incredible moment for mental health. And I think number two, I, I think that, um, I mean, there's so many moments to pick from, so many moments, but I think, you know, I, I, I think that for the people that cared, you know, swimming is one of the biggest ones too, and I think that the 200 meter uh, freestyle between uh, Katie Ledecky and Ariana Titmus was is a, a swimming race that will go down all time and one of the the most interesting ones. And so there's a lot of other interesting ones, but those are I think some of the ones that you'll look back 10, 20 years later and say these these were some of the best Olympic moments that that happened. Yeah, I mean it's these moments are they're minutes seconds even at a time but they they live on for years and years and years and that's that's what the olympics does and and mm -hmm. you know willie I, i'm particularly excited for 2022 uh the the winter olympics because mm -hmm. uh, i i just love the winter sports if i'm perfectly honest like you know the obviously track and field and swimming are you know two of the big ones in gymnastics as well they're they're all great sports but for me personally uh, i'm a big fan of this the speed skating mm. uh the half pipe with the snowboard mm -hmm. uh the downhill skiing Mm -hmm. um, watching uh, Michaela Schifrin. Yeah, she's so good. Oh my gosh. Who's the watching her is always incredible, even mm -hmm. for someone who doesn't know anything about skiing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, just watching pure dominance mm -hmm. in any sport is mm -hmm. is something is is just incredible. I do want to briefly, and this is a good way to to mark the halfway point in our episode. Uh, before we go on, Willie, mm -hmm. I want to touch on Simone Biles, uh, her her stance against mental health. Uh, you know. On the 
the stigmat the stigmatization of of mm -hmm. mental health. So effectively, Simone Biles taking her own mental health more seriously than ever before in you know on a stage like this is something that is you know it's obviously not talked about enough these days because you know we live in a, an era where it's you know it's all about the right now but not the what happened six months ago that can live on for for years it's one of the top athletes in the world now this is this is not just a a good basketball player mm -hmm. or a decent soccer player or an okay baseball player right or you know a half decent golfer at the professional level these are not average to above average athletes this is an olympian who is arguably the best of the best at what she does mm -hmm. deciding that rather than risk injury because of what is going on in her own head she is going to not participate in something that she has been working toward or for her entire life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to me, that's bigger than than any team winning a championship or any individual player setting a record. It's someone using their platform and their following and a lifetime worth of experience doing the mm -hmm. same thing over and over and over again at an extremely high level to say, you know what? I've worked for this my whole life. I want nothing more than mm. to be the greatest Olympian uh, and the greatest gymnastic gymnast of all time. I want nothing more than that. But my head is not in the right place where I feel comfortable enough to try to pull off some of the things that are required of gymnasts specifically. Mm -hmm. And to me, that means more to, you know, the the general population than any championship. Because at the end of the day, sports fandom is arbitrary. You you don't you're not obligated by by anyone or anything to be a fan of a certain team. You know, my, my brother is a, is a Browns fan as well, but mm -hmm. he's from Atlanta. I'm from Atlanta, but I'm a Falcons fan primarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has, he'll also root for the Falcons unless they're playing the Browns. My dad's from New York, but he's a Browns fan. And, and this kind of thing is arbitrary. It's, it's not necessarily, it's not only because mm -hmm. of where you live or where you're from. <laughs> yeah. It could be the people you know. It could be your special connection. Maybe yeah. you have, maybe you're related to someone on one of the yes. teams. Maybe you... You know, it doesn't matter what your your affiliation is with a player. By and large, and obviously there are very few exceptions, but by and large, sports fandom is arbitrary. Mm -hmm. But Simone Biles' decision to prioritize mental health on that stage, given who she is, given the circumstance, that's not arbitrary. That is a conscious choice. And we as as just people, not even sportsmen, we as just people, need to, need to recognize how important that is. Because I'm sure we all know someone if it's not us, it's someone we know that struggles with mental health, has some sort of mental illness. And it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Simone Biles reminded all of mm -hmm. us that it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. and Even if you're an Olympian. No, and the message is so powerful. She has such a platform. And for her to say that it's okay to not be okay and start the conversation, I think she's helped so many people in the world. And that's her biggest legacy um, and then also, Owen, just think about, I do just want to mention how much she gave up by doing that. Not just business, maybe opportunities from winning more, but just think about it like this. So 
Simone Biles is primarily viewed as the GOAT in, in gymnastics. Um, she's won the most at the Olympics. Um, and she won everything, too. She's very well-rounded as a gymnast. But what I think was striking to me, when, and she might be, Owen, one of the biggest compliments I could give her in the realm of sports, she might be one of the only people that's ever did what I'm about to say, which is that most athletes, look, it's hard to retire from anything you love. It doesn't matter what um, you do in life. But for people who really like their job, it's, and oh, even not, I mean, it's just, it's really hard to retire. And um, most athletes want to have, just have a hard time letting go. They stay for a long time. They want to have a farewell tour. And, um, Simone Biles is 24, which is old by gymnastic standards. Um, I can almost guarantee, well, it would be, we'll put it this way, the odds are very low that if anyone could do it, it'd be her. But the odds are very low that she'll do another Olympics. She was already considered old by this. Um, sir. And so for her to sacrifice what she's been working for the last five years, because keep in mind, the Olympics are supposed to be in 2020, it didn't happen. Um, and her, her last, basically her last shot, right? Where her last probably Olympics period, and where she legitimately had a chance to win both. Name it. She had a chance to win the team event where the U.S. was in uh, going to be an epic duel with Russia, but as it turns out, the U.S. didn't win. And the individual, she's you know very good at multiple individual events, and she was the favorite in some of them, and so. She gave up, and for her to do that for the greater good is just incredible because I'm not sure that if you asked any athlete, that's why people talk about Muhammad Ali, right, in some ways. Like, people people that are willing to walk away for a greater cause, for, for things, um, for most of it, which what she did, um, not many people have ever done that in the history. So for her to do that on her last you know, with her last shot basically was incredible. Incredible. Yep. It, it, it really is one of the, what, what I hope will be a turning moment in, in how we, uh, a turning point in how we address, how we talk about and how we mm -hmm. deal with mental health because mm -hmm. it's important. Mm -hmm. It's just as important as physical, if not more important. I mean, the brain, this thing up here is, is really, really, it's strong. The brain is better than the mo the world's strongest fastest supercomputer and you know it, it's we got you got to take care of it got to take care of this thing it's not it's okay to not be okay it's perfectly okay that's uh that's a message i hope resonates with uh, with all of you listening today um but Willie, we we've had some some big moments this year uh before we go on to the 2022 outlook and and what we're looking forward to mm. next year uh, let's let's go back and talk about some of the big stories and just recognize some of the things that may not have got the attention of you know our big moments of the year, but something you know worth mentioning at least. I've got a handful. Some of them we touched on them. We touched on Shohei Otani. We talked about the Braves winning the World Series. We talked briefly about Liverpool. Uh, I want to talk in the soccer realm because we we deal with football so much on this show. I want to talk about a few specific teams, a few okay. juggernauts of the, the the football world, three English teams, mm. and then two individual players, mm. uh, consensus greatest players mm. uh, of this generation, if not of all mm -hmm. time. So we'll start in England, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester City. 
the Liverpool in the 2020-2021 season, so uh, the last Premier League season uh, that finished in mm-hmm. May 2021, uh, Liverpool limped over the line somehow to win the cha- win a spot in the Champions League for this current season, 2021, where they're six out of six in the group <laughs> stage, which no English team has mm-hmm. ever done before. And like we were saying earlier, that wouldn't have been possible without a certain header by their goalkeeper in mm-hmm. in added time of the 38th game of the year or 37th game of the year. Um, but the reason that was necessary, Willie, was because they had an injury crisis that I would argue a lot of defending champions don't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was... And there were people who were talking about Oh, the the mojo's gone at Liverpool. You know, the mm-hmm. is is this the the beginning of the end of the Klopp era? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's what's going on at Liverpool? Like, why aren't they scoring? And what's what's going on? To me, it's it's a question of because they are the champions. That magnifier gets even bigger, rightly so, because they are the they are the measuring stick. But also the way they get looked at in the context of everyone else in a pandemic. Uh, to me, is a little skewed towards, okay, you've had your first title in 30 years, now we don't want you to be successful. From now, And, and again, this comes from a Liverpool fan, so take it with a grain of salt for, for those of you who mm-hmm. aren't a fan uh, of the Mighty Reds. Um, there were the numerous VAR decisions that went against Liverpool, uh, starting with the eighth game of the season, with Pickford not even being his challenge on Van Dyke, which ended... Uh, Big Verge's season not even being looked at by VAR mm-hmm. to the winner uh, wrongfully ruled out for offside uh, to just a, a few other moments during the season. Ashley Barnes won a penalty for Burnley at Anfield, which is part of their big losing streak at home. Uh, there were just a few other VAR moments that drove Liverpool fans insane, and and there were there was no reason really for that to happen and for it to progress in that way. But the the injury crisis they had is unlike anything I think I've ever seen in any sport. Because it's it's all the same player at the mm-hmm. same position. Mm-hmm. It starts with Van Dyke at center back. Then it's Joel Matip goes down for an extended period of time. And he's had his injury problems, but they really got bad mm-hmm. uh, last year towards the end of the calendar year. <laughs> Joe Gomez, same story. And at that point, those were three of the only fit senior center backs for Liverpool. Fabinho would be the fourth, but he's you know primarily a holding midfielder. And he'll be an emergency center back if necessary. Well, there was a point in the season. Okay, Van Dyke's out hurt. He's done for the year. Matip's out. He's basically done for the year. Gomez is out. He's done for the year. So who who are your center backs at that point? Mm-hmm. Your three senior guys are gone. Jordan Henderson, a midfielder, and Fabinho, a midfielder. Two center backs. Played by center midfielders. Well, guess what happens to them? They get injured as well. So then you're having to play two unproven academy graduates and fringe first team squad uh, squad mm-hmm. mates, Reese Williams and Nat Phillips. Mm-hmm. And you're losing not just your captain, your engine, the guy who makes Liverpool tick. You're losing the defensive shield who protects the back mm-hmm. four. All on top of losing one of the best central defenders in the world. And and we I made this argument on the podcast really earlier in 2021 and later in 2020. You take that same thing, you put it on any other team, and you get the exact same result. Mm. We're a very similar result. Manchester City, okay? Take five of their center backs, regardless of how many center backs they mm. have. Just take five center backs out of that club for six to eight months of the mm-hmm. season. 
and let me know how they perform. Do the same thing at Manchester United, same thing at Arsenal, same thing at Chelsea, and then, hell, go international if you want to. Bayern Munich, <laughs> Juventus, um, Real Madrid, Barcelona, etc., etc., etc. It is so hard, so hard to maintain the same sort of energy and the fluidity in the attacking sense when all of your players are basically being relegated to play defensive roles in some capacity because you just don't have the manpower to deal with it. I mean, there's there's shorthanded, there's crisis, and then there's what Liverpool had to deal with last season. And for them to finish third, like that that has to be remembered for being one of Jurgen Klopp's finest touches is the ability to get the get the players to to perform at a level that secures them Champions League football for the following season. That to me is sure. And again, we've talked about this enough, but it's it's a it's a story that needs more press, honestly. Yeah, I mean, um, you're right, and I think I will, I will say this. I mean, I, I think it's a great shout. Um, first of all, uh, it is cool what Klopp said about Nat Phillips recently. Like he was. Him and Robert Lewandowski were the two players that improved most under my watch in my managerial career. Um, yeah, Owen, I mean, to see those injuries happen in the season and then the guys who are filling in for the injuries and the midfielders, you know, getting trying to play center back, getting injured, it's tough. And uh, uh, first of all, I, I just want to give myself credit for I remember I did mention that they were short on the center backs, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but not for but yeah, I mean, look, it's one of the craziest things that ever happened. You're right. I, I can't remember any sport uh, where something there have been this many injuries at the same position. Um, and yeah, and I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I think ultimately it is incredible achievement. I, I think that I think that the injuries kind of got lost because I think people just kind of assumed that similar to Manchester City, the the previous season that I think because a lot of people thought Liverpool were kind of just burned out, they kind of really dismissed the injuries as somewhat of an excuse, you know, definitely like while recognizing it, but I agree. It's an incredible achievement to finish fourth when that happened. And um, you're right. I mean, who else could have done it? And I mean, heck, uh, when something like that happens, you know, like you said, the the ripple effects if they didn't finish fourth. And so, look, who knows what would have happened last year? You know, Liverpool, I remember when they beat Crystal Palace 7-0. I remember watching that game, and I was like, wow, like, Liverpool didn't look that great that season. I mean, they, they had that love for loss to Austin Villa. Like, there's, they weren't quite right, but they were right there. Uh, before Man City went on that 20-plus game unbeaten streak. And so maybe they would have won. Who knows? But regardless, for sure, I mean, that the injuries, there's no way you can win a title with, with that. And to win to finish top four in the Premier League is... No. It's it's no small feat to no. finish top four. No, definitely uh, not. You know, there's a reason that Wenger almost considered it a trophy every year. Uh, you know, it's because it's that hard to do when the quality is so high from from every team within the top six, and that's not even including teams like West Ham, who this year are in fifth right now. I, I mean, this is this is unprecedented how many good teams there are in England. And obviously, yes, there's a bit of separation at the very, very top uh, with Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man City, but 
you know, it's so hard to finish top four in England relative to other leagues. You know, I, um, if you're the the top team. But I, I digress. Really, I you know the reason I wanted to bring that up is mostly just because I think the you know and and it's 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 baffling because every time I'd watch Premier League coverage, it's the same narrative pushed by these players who played for your Manchester Uniteds, your Evertons, your big. Liverpool <laughs> rivals. It's like, oh, this is the beginning of the end for them. Uh, yeah, the yeah. injuries are a big deal, but like, what about the, you know, what about the the attacking players, and and what about the the general the mojo and the mentality around the club? Um, because all of that talk, Willie, has gone silent here in the end of 2021, and I really, I I wonder, I wonder why it's gone silent. Um, I mm. I I can't because it can't be the injuries. No, it has to be something wrong with Liverpool. Um, but no, it's, it, in all seriousness, that little bit of you know passive aggressive banter aside, yeah. it, it is it is good to see that through all of that chaos and all of that doubt that Liverpool were going to finish you know outside of the top four, hell even outside of the top yeah. six at one point, uh, that they ended up yeah. third and secured I, Champions League and, yeah. and became sure first and English it, team to ever win six out of six. And I will in say Champions this, no, which was incredible, and I mean. Um, absolutely incredible and a tough group too. Yeah. Um, but what I will say, and I just want to say this real quick too, as much as I love Chelsea and, you know, and as much as they've looked really good this season, they, you know, they've definitely stumbled the last few games. Uh, haven't looked good at all by the eye test either. And, um, because Liverpool qualified, um, you know, for the Champions League and because, they, you know, had that morale boost and they have the players at the club and, and ready to go again. I mean, we're, we're probably in for just like we were a couple of years ago with um, just the greatest title race of all time. And it's hard to think of any big league where that's happened. Manchester City edging Liverpool coming down to the last day. And we're, we're probably going to get in that, you know, epic classic of one this season, if I had to guess. And when you watch these two teams, I mean, they're just so suffocating. Liverpool's pressing is so good. They just pepper the goal, the shot, the goal with shots and pressure, and they're just onslaught of offense. Same with Man City. And so because of that, in large part, I think we're we're gonna get another epic race, which I I hate to say, but I think eventually in a few months will primarily be a two horse race. So, you know, incredible. Yeah. Let me and, ask you a question, Owen, real quick. Let me ask you a yeah. question, Owen, real quick. Yeah. Is uh, how much of a shame would it be if the African Cup of Nations, you know, decimates Liverpool and and costs them the title? That that would be from. It's been such a pleasure to watch the Premier League this season. I would be really sad if, you know, all of a sudden a gap opens up because you know, Liverpool is missing you know their two wingers who score a, a ton of goals and, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, Willie, where we just don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, yeah. Obviously, COVID is kind of, it's become a, you know, day by day, it's become a bigger and bigger uh, question mark around international football with uh, questions about Premier uh, I mean, Germany is going behind closed doors already yep. uh, for their games. Austria is already in total lockdown. Uh, so who, who's to say that England couldn't follow suit? And if that follows suit, that doesn't that means that fans can't attend games and mm-hmm. and you know it, there's there's a lot of question marks but i do think 
if the African Cup of Nations still does go forward in January, that it is a strong possibility that Liverpool will not have the same sort of uh, effectiveness in goal yeah. scoring, and it'll be it'll be very hard for them to win those those defensive struggles where a team is is packed really tightly and compact and really hard to break down. Uh, but I think Klopp knows what he's doing, and I think that if if such a thing were to arise, he would be able to go to FSG, go to Michael Edwards, and be like, "Guys, we we need players. We we can't do this with the squad that we have. You know that." They're not going to be able to play for us for, you know, Lord knows how long. And so we need help. And you can't replace Mo Salah in the transfer market that that much we know. I mean, I, I don't think there's any player who's an, a direct upgrade in an attacking sense on Mohamed Salah right now. Um, so you, it's not a question of, and Klopp always says this in, in press conferences too, it's it's a question of uh, of the right fit, not just more players because you have to make sure the player is a right fit for the club. You have to make sure the player is a right fit for the system. And you have to make sure the person is someone who's willing to get acclimated. It's him and his family getting acclimated to England, getting acclimated to the weather. There's so many things that come with transfers. And you know, the more, the older you get, the more you realize that you can't just go out and, and buy every player you see in the market. You have to be able to cultivate a clubhouse, a dressing room culture that is conducive yeah. to winning and yeah, to playing absolutely. well. Um, yeah. So, look, honestly, say the African Cup of Nations goes ahead and Mane and Salah aren't available, and Nabi Keita as well. He's, mm-hmm. he's another player who's mm-hmm. going to be gone for the African Cup of Nations uh, if it goes through. <laughs> so not having those three players will be tough for Liverpool, but it's... I would say that it's not the end of the world because they have all their center backs, thankfully, knock on wood, right now. Uh, Van Dijk is back... You know, back to the top of his game. Although he did test for mm. COVID, to, test positive for COVID today, so he'll be he'll be out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but between Van Dyke and and Matip's resurgence, and Konate is coming into his own, mm-hmm. and Phillips is still at the club. He may not leave in January. He might leave in January. Who knows? So again, there's a, there's a lot of different moving parts, and it, it would it would suck as a Liverpool fan if Afcon is the reason that the title race is Man City and Chelsea, and not Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, or at least you know, Liverpool and one of those two teams. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it we'll, we'll see how that plays out over the next uh, couple of weeks. I mean, we'll know in, in a couple of weeks, if the facts and fixtures are even going to go through. I mean, there's, there was talk yeah. of clubs wanting a suspension in all play until January yeah. 7th. I, I got to so, say, and I, I, <laughs> I, I worry. I, I don't know. I, now, now I, I want to say this is, this is interesting. Um, I'm very, very worried about player safety, not only for COVID, which we see how bad of an effect it can have on people, even when they do it, uh, when they they get it, you know, you could you can have lung problems, heart problems, take you a long time to recover, but but the fixture congestion that's going to pile up inevitably around the league, and then it's just going to be crazy because. We're probably going to have to make up games, and uh, next year's a World Cup year, too. I mean, I know it's in the fall, but it's just, it's not safe. If we if we keep pushing fixtures back as good as it might be for COVID, it, it is really, from an injury perspective, it's just bad. So, Yeah, I, I really feel for global, global public health analysts over the next couple of years because oh they're going to have so much work to do 
yep. figure to make sense of the long-term implications of a global pandemic. I, I can't even fathom that. So, um, you know, it, it yeah. the, the, the COVID variable is something that I think is in some ways overlooked. If, if you can even say as much, just because we feel like it's such a normalized part of our lives that we're not paying as close attention to it as we were, you know, a year ago, year and a half ago. Yeah. So. No, for sure. It's, it's, it's crazy on, I, um, I, I gotta tell you Owen. England has to do away with the festive period. I know it's all about the money, but it, it's, <laughs> there's just so many issues with it. Yeah. It's the, the money and the tradition can only take you so far. I mean, Every league in the world has a winter break except for England. Mm-hmm. And and that's not good for the players. It, it helps. I mean, it's like it's like Thursday night football in the NFL. It helps the broadcasting companies. It helps, you know, it helps ad revenue. Doesn't help the players. It mm-hmm. doesn't help their safety because playing short weeks on, you know, when you're playing less than 100% and then you have the chance to re-aggravate injuries in short weeks and then you miss extended amounts of time and that can affect your whole career just because of how short careers are in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that we, we can talk about that for, for a long yeah. time. Uh, before we move, I, I do want to give a mention to Chelsea though, Willie, as you brought them up. Uh, the resurgence they had in 2021 between January and May of this year, absolutely incredible. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this where mm. the club is in you know such disarray and yeah. then one move uh, mm. at the very top, changing managers, mm. not not any real big players, but changing managers gets the whole squad to play very differently, play more consistently, play really well, and then ultimately win Europe's biggest uh, world, biggest club footballing yeah. prize, which, <laughs> yep. you know, hats off to, to Tomas Tuchel being one of the best managers in the world and, yes. and doing what he did with that squad. Now, now mind you, I, I do want to acknowledge this. I will give Chelsea props. But they also had a very, very good squad. This is not like a, a you know, newly promoted side that was, you know, on the brink of getting relegated, you know, halfway through a season. That's that's not what this was. There were a lot of youth players, but they're very, very good youth players. And that's credit to the academy. But they're still youth players, and they're very, very good. Coupled with your your big signings, your young talents that have a chance to be established stars, and the guys who have been there and done that, you know, the holdovers from the last Chelsea title winning squad with Alonso and um, Kovacic, I think, was a part of that team. Um, let's see. Aspilicueta. Mm. I think Rudiger was part of those teams. You know, so it, it it's not like it was it was just out of nowhere. You know, this this Chelsea team is very, very good, top to bottom. Yeah. So. No, I mean, they're, they're a very good team. Um, team. Like you said, it's hard to think of a team in soccer that turned around that quickly, that just instant manager bump, um, incredible league form, uh, incredible Champions League form, looked incredible this season. I mean, up until the last few games, I mean, you can make an argument that they have been the best team in the Premier League, not only based on points, but on eye test. Um, and really, it's just got a couple of unlucky results, but... Um, yeah, it's look. This Chelsea, and I, I do just want to mention that you know, I mean, it's it's and without you know, look the, yes, Chelsea have had various injuries and COVID cases, but the Lukaku injury is is a huge deal, and I think 
to the point of what you're saying, I think that the Chelsea team with Lukaku is much better and is different. And I think with Lukaku in the lineup, Chelsea might be playing incredibly well, as well as, as Liverpool and uh, Man City. And so just the the squad they have is incredible, but just the 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 three four two one structure and how Tuchel's managing them is is really incredible. And they're so enjoy I mean look, maybe they're not the most entertaining team to watch, but they're so well drilled and so defensively sound for the most part, other than when they play West Brom <laughs> a couple times. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, look, Tomas Tuchel is a world-class manager. Yeah. And the only reason he lost his job at PSG is because the expectation oh. at that club is Champions League yeah. or bust. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you win no, the French no. League. And it doesn't matter if you win the French Cup. You have to win the Champions League. Make it to the Champions League final. And it's still in blowing away the French League was was good. Yeah. Also, I just want to say real quick, Owen, that um, real quick, that um, the game today, I got to tell you, like, there when some people hate soccer and they say it's boring, this game was an example. It wasn't the, like, Chelsea had a lot of chances to score that they didn't, like, right in front of goal. But I got to tell you, on that was dreadful and honestly bad for the sport. I'm just going to say, Everton, Chelsea having, you know, 80% of the possession and a lot of the time, n- no pressing, either sitting at the halfway line or kind of halfway between the halfway line and the goal and just scoring on a set piece, making really absolutely no effort to get forward at all. And was just honestly atrocious to watch. I'm very disappointed. And I hate to say it, I, I, but when teams play like that, it's just particularly for a team that has enough talent like Everton and experienced manager. I just don't think that that's a good look for, for the, the sport. I just wanted to mention that. No, it's not. And and this is not like Everton. This is not unlike them. They have a habit of, in big games, uh, going and just refusing to actually play football and just, you know, just occupying certain spaces and making it difficult for their opponents. I mean, that's that's kind of the way Everton play in big games. And, and we can we can talk about them in, in a whole other segment. But this is about 2021. 2021 was not Everton's year. It was the year that Leo Messi left Barcelona. I mean, Willie, we, we have to acknowledge really quickly the fact that one of the icons in world football left one of the iconic clubs in world football that he helped cement as iconic uh, based off of that club's mm. financial situation and just general disarray. Mm-hmm. Now he's playing at PSG and, you know, he's not producing the same numbers he was at Barcelona. But Willie, this is this is one of the, bi- the biggest names in sports mm. changing changing teams from you know the only one he's ever known in europe to one that's trying to be uh you know the next the next big uh super team mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think um it, it, it's um for me owen it um <laughs> for me owen it always it holds a really big place in my heart um, you know, um, you know, I, I've watched soccer my whole life, legitimately. I know you're a little later to the sport, just like I was with golf. But um, Barcelona 
I, growing up, when I was a kid, I used to watch two things. I watched the Premier League because it was most accessible. And, uh, yeah, I watched the Champions League. But I, I watched Barcelona a decent amount. And um, to see Messi have to do that, I mean, I never thought I would see the day. And just sad, though. And, I mean, Barcelona are in such shambles. With the, you know, they, they've got to sell players. Who knows if they'll ever be the same. And um, it's just sad for the sport, Owen. It's just sad for the sport. And um, also sad, too, because, um, you know, you see the way Messi struggled this season. Um, I think he still only has one goal or maybe two goals now in League One because I think he scored last weekend. <laughs> but um, it's probably the end of seeing him at his best. Part, you know, because of the team change. And so just very sad, Owen. Very sad, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where teams, clubs, players go through ebbs and flows all the time. But this Barcelona situation right now is actually the closest thing to just unpress. I mean, I don't know if anyone could have scripted this because no. not only did they lose Messi, but the guy they signed on a free transfer, Sergio Aguero, yeah. just had to retire because of yeah. for health reasons. I mean, this is this is actually one of the most astounding things in world football because you know when you and I were middle and high school, that was it. It was Barcelona, Real Madrid, United, Chelsea, and you know starting in 2011, 2012, Man City, but. For for those years, it, if you weren't one of those teams, you weren't competing for the big prizes. But now, your Liverpools are back in the mix. Man City is yeah. up there again. PSG is in the mix. Bayern Munich is back where they where they should be. I mean, this is a colossal shift in the power dynamic of the entire sport, and it's all based primarily off of one player. Sure, sure, sure. Um. Absolutely, Owen. I, I think you you nailed it. Um, yeah, Barcelona look there. They may never be the same because of their style of play and and because of the lack of talent, like you said, primarily because of Messi leaving and all he's done for them and how they've built their team around him. It's crazy. And um, you know, uh, speaking two things, I'll, I'll say number one. I do want to just acknowledge that the way that Barcelona with Messi, with the tiki-taka style, just revolutionized the game, I thought was incredible. So I want to pay pay uh, homage to them. And it is a, a big change in, in world football. Um, but... And, and, you know, a start of, like we said, we're, I'm not seeing Messi and Ronaldo soon. But number two, Owen, I just want to quickly touch on something you said about Sergio Aguero. I mean, I know people are talking about it. Please get well. But, um, Owen, I, I watched that live. Uh, I remember, I don't think it was recorded. I think I watched live. I remember uh, I was, I believe, senior in high school. I believe it was, it was, I remember watching the goal against QPR. I remember watching that game. I, I vividly remember it was a sunny day outside because it was May in Syracuse. And I remember just going in, watching the game, and then coming out and standing on the deck. Not Literally, I, I have this image in my mind, not believing what happened. 
that moment right there for club football, for me, is still the greatest, my favorite moment of all time. Like, in terms of club soccer, you pick one moment. That was in real... So much of sports, you know, someone said is about how you take things in the moment. And in that moment, it was just so incredibly exciting. And before Man City had won a title and before they had, you know, become this big conglomerate they are. So, I don't know. That, it, just crazy. Yeah, it's it's one of the big moments of our lifetime in uh, in in a sports sense and just in general what it means for the Premier League to have that iconic moment be one of the defining characteristics of your entire organization, your entire league can be defined <laughs> in part by that one moment. So really it, it, it speaks volumes yeah, um, to absolutely. what one player's impact can be. But, you know, it, seeing Messi on a different team, seeing Ronaldo now on a different team is weird. Uh, all the, um, you know, he, he played for Sad. United before. It's not as weird as Messi in a PSG shirt. So let's just get that out of the way. But, um, United are a whole situation. We we can spend a whole episode yeah. uh, talk about United and and Ole previously being at the wheel. Yeah. Um. But well, there's something else I want to talk about. Okay. It's not the Major League Baseball lockout, which I hope gets resolved mm. sometime in January, so the, so the Braves cannot drop the ball on this and re-sign Freddie Freeman. Um. It's it's vaccinations, and I know okay. this this transcends sports, obviously. Yeah. Um. You know, there are people in this world, for whatever reason. Either mm. do believe in vaccines or they don't. Right. I personally cannot change anyone's mind yep. based off of what they believe. What I can only offer is that when you are the quarterback of one of the most historic franchises in the National Football League, and you will have the platform that you do, and you decide to go on television and say that you get your medical advice. Oh, sure. Medical advice. <laughs> From a, listen to this title very carefully, media personality slash podcast host. <laughs> when you say you get your medical advice from Joe Rogan, that's the first sign that something is not right in your head. I'm sorry, but you don't, like Willie, I'm not going to go to you and ask about how do I treat this incurable medical disease. Sure, sure. Because you and I aren't doctors. You wouldn't come to me about the same thing. No. And you wouldn't come to me about how to run a Fortune 500 company because I have no idea. That's right. You're asking the wrong people questions that you need to be asking scientists, doctors, <laughs> nurses, and epidemiologists. Mm -hmm. Don't ask media personalities. Don't ask influencers. Don't ask actors. Ask the people who spend their lives studying deadly pathogens. The one that is going around the planet right now and killing millions of people. That's, mm. that's, that's what I want to say. Because vaccinations have been such a hot topic through 2021. I, I have my own vaccination story and the reason that I'm low-key upset at people who choose not to get vaccinated for one reason or another. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, that's not for me to, to share on this on the sports podcast. Sure. What I want to get at, Willie, is that it is totally okay to look at a vaccine for a new disease that we don't really quite understand fully and that we may never understand fully, at least in this generation. Mm -hmm. It's okay to look at the vaccine and look at the virus and go, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable <laughs> taking this vaccine because 
we don't know the long-term effects of it. We know the long-term effects of COVID, but we don't know the vaccine and, and sure. they could have different ones. And, you know, yeah. we could, what about people who are nursing or trying to become pregnant? Well, let me tell you a story about uh, a St. Louis Cardinals player, Tyler O'Neill. I read this story, I think in, in August or mm. July. He and his wife are trying to have a baby this year. Okay. Or at least at the time of the article. They were trying to have a baby. And they held off on getting vaccinated. Now, vaccines were not mandated by Major League Baseball to each team. It was kind of left to each team to decide how they wanted to handle it. They were, of course, strongly recommended, but not mandatory. And so Tyler O'Neill and his girlfriend, I guess his his wife, uh, they said, you know what? We're going to do our own research. And they didn't do their own research by talking to Joe Rogan. (laughs) They didn't do their own research by joining a Facebook group and asking other people what they think about the vaccine. No, they talked to doctors, talked to scientists, they talked to epidemiologists, and they arrived at the conclusion that the best solution for them was to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And they got vaccinated, and they have no qualms with their decision. They said, you know what? We weren't sure. We did our own research. We took advice from the medical professionals, and we made a decision. If that's how you arrive at your decision, if you're uncertain, then that's the right way to do it, in my personal opinion. But if you just hold out based on saying, oh, I don't know about this vaccine. What if what if it does this weird thing to me? Okay, well, what kind of data do you have to back up that claim? Yeah, I mean, it's just a question of of trying to understand that sports represent a functioning society. They are the reward for a functioning society. If everyone does not decide to at least show support for people who are getting vaccinated, and understand that this is not about a me, but a we thing, then we're, we're not going to get anywhere. And COVID is going to be with us for the next couple of years. And the reason I say that and I'm so impassioned about it is just because it, I'm not going to say it could have been avoided, but, you know, we talked about COVID as being, you know, a, a couple weeks, a couple months. We're approaching the two year mark already. Mm. Yep. And it's. It's hesitance to do things that are mildly uncomfortable. Yeah. So in classic sports fashion, I would, the only thing I would implore upon you, and this is the the last thing I'll do on my, on my proverbial soapbox. The last thing I'll ask you to do is just take a good, good hard look in the mirror and ask yourself why you were choosing to do what you're doing and who it directly impacts. And to think about the team, not the individual. And I understand everyone has the right to choose for Choose whatever is best for them. But when you talk to scientists and you talk to doctors, they're going to tell you to get vaccinated. Sure. Almost unanimously across yeah. the board. Yeah. So. No, I think two things stand out on. I think one, there are millions of people dying and there are not only that, there's a large fraction of people that get long-term effects from COVID, uh, heart problems, breathing problems, fatigue, um, and these issues are chronic, particularly the heart and the lung problems sometimes, and they have a significant fraction. People are not the same, and yet people are, for some reason, still worried about a vaccine. Doesn't make any sense. And and then I think the second thing you said was, um, I think that the most, I watched the whole Aaron Rodgers interview that he did on the Pat McAfee show, and it goes along with what you're saying. I think the most disturbing thing about that, it's not the fact 
as important as it is that public figures kind of do the right thing because people look up to them. He's not the first public figure to to make a mistake or whatever. But um, it's the fact, like you said, that Aaron Rodgers <laughs> always, at least in publicly sometimes, like he he gave off the attitude that he was the, the smartest guy in the room. I mean, he's talking about his team went to the NFL and prepared a 500-page defense. Like, of what? And he's like, oh, oh there are studies. What, what studies? Why, why don't you say? And and it's like, like you said, doctors will unanimously say, basically, that, uh, you know, they recommend vaccinations. And the fact that people, a lot of people in the country think that they're, A, too smart. And like you said, they don't know where to get their information. And, and so I think that's one of the problem, biggest problems in the world, to be honest, is that most people, I'll be, <laughs> there are many people smarter than me. People have to realize that <laughs> they have to be humble and, and, and realize like there are people way smarter than them or people that know way more about certain things than them. And it, yeah, it's, it's just a, a terrible thing when we don't, we're kind of numb to the fact that literally the numbers of people that have long COVID, that have gotten COVID, and that have died from COVID, like we're in the millions. And so I, I like the numbers are staggering, yet people are fixated on these, this stuff. So, yeah. Crazy. And, and the reason I say that's a big moment in this year is because it is. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not just from a societal perspective, but specifically a sporting perspective, because so many teams and their, their various vaccination statuses, Either, either fraudulent or otherwise, uh, are are just they're so scrutinized and for good reason because if you know that the player you're playing against in a contact sport is vaccinated <laughs> versus unvaccinated, and say you're vaccinated and you have someone who you live with or someone in your family who has uh, a an autoimmune disorder or has or has cancer or is diabetic or is at greater risk of serious complications from this virus, how hesitant are you going to be to do your job? Probably pretty hesitant in some ways because you don't know if that person has COVID. You don't know if you have COVID, but if you're vaccinated, the chances of you having as strong of a case is significantly lower. So it's not that you're preventing COVID at all. It's you're minimizing as much risk as you can because it's safe, not just for you, but the people around you. Yeah. And that's the thing that's getting lost these days. Plus, you know, the misinformation and, and yeah. the people in power deciding yeah. to take a stand against things that have been around for generations. Crazy. You know, we could go on and on, but on and on about this, but this is less political and more, more sports. So, but I, I wanted to mention that because it's, it's, it's a big topic. No, it's it it's a big, part of the reason we're here. It has to be mentioned in the context of the biggest sports stories. Uh, of the year and i yeah. think um it's interesting how the leagues are going to deal with it going forward with the new variant that seems to be more contagious so you're right this look covid's a the pandemic this is a huge part of 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 what's happening and now you're seeing rising cases in the nba you're seeing tennis an issue you're seeing the nfl so you know, we've got an Olympics coming up here, so it's going to be crazy, you know? Yeah. 
the the only thing I'll implore Willie before we go on to our our next section, mm. um, our, our final segment of the evening uh, of the show, yeah, is that we continue to treat COVID and talk about it in the present tense, not the past tense. Mm. We are not past <laughs> this virus no, at all, not. and we probably never will be. Mm. But we are still firmly in a pandemic, so wear a mask, get vaccinated, take yeah. care of others. Yeah. And please listen to the right people. Don't listen to Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Willie, 2022 is about two weeks away. Almost exactly. And there are a handful of things that I I think both you and I wish happen in in the coming year. Um, I want to just go back and forth really quickly. Just bounce off each other. Some things we're we're hoping for in, in 2022. I've got a couple really quickly. I'll just rattle off at you. Uh, two golf related. Uh, one is that Tiger Woods plays in a big tournament in in 2022, whether it's the Masters or the Players or or some some big meaningful golf tournament. That's all I hope is that he's able to do that and play and compete and actually you know compete for uh, for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is that I hope Sanders Shoffley is the next big American player to 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 break through. Uh, he's been one of my players on one of my favorite players on tour for a while. Um, you know he's representing the half Asian gang. Sure. Uh, like like yours truly um and he's he's just got a very a very solid all-around game and i think he is is due for for a big breakthrough now obviously you know you're not really granted anything golf is a hard sport but you know that's those, that's my take in, in the golf realm so tiger to play xander to win a major that's that's my only hope for you know in a golf sense okay i'd love that for i'd love for that to happen owen um yeah i mean i Look, they're they're both great to watch. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I hope Tiger plays again. Um, and and yeah, Shoffley, I'm hoping he has a breakthrough. You know, he's due for for a major win. He's due for how with how consistent he is. Hopefully, that gold medal will will spark a, a big run in him. You know, so I'm, yeah. I'm very excited That's about that too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Willie. So, what are you what are you hopeful for in twenty twenty two? What are you what are you looking forward to? Oh, man, Owen, there's so much in in um, the world of sports um, that I'm looking forward to. Um, I would say, he, he, first of all, I I, I would say, um, not a, a spoiler alert, but you know, I am hopeful that we'll see. Just right off the bat, we'll see Michigan or Georgia win a title, or even Cincinnati, just not Alabama. Yeah, <laughs> anyone but Bama. Um, but big picture, um, here's a couple things I'm hopeful for. Um, one thing that I am very hopeful for is that we see. I think I think this would be really cool. Um, I'm very hopeful um, that we see. Uh, LeBron maybe getting another title to inch closer to Jordan. That's one thing. Uh, Lakers have a good team this year. Disappointing, but but that's one thing. Um, Kind of flipping around sports here in the world of golf. Um, One thing that I'm very looking forward to, um, to be honest, is I'm actually very looking forward to the Masters. Because I want to see Rory McIlroy win the Masters. 
I think that that's um, an incredible story. And I'm really looking forward to, um, I believe that, that John Rahm uh, is going to go on an absolute tear this season. So I'm, I'm very, very looking forward to that. Um, and then Owen, you know, one more, one more thing, Owen, that I, I am going to look forward to for the baseball season is, um, I, I'll just say this. I'll save some of my stuff for the hot takes, but I believe that we'll get some really special stories this season, both for potential winners and, and teams that are on the rise. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I, you know, there's a lot to look forward to in the next year, Willie. That's, that's for yes. sure. That's definitely Absolutely. for sure. Yep. Uh, before we get to hot takes, I know you wanted to talk about Georgia university. Yes, of. I do. Um, obviously, uh, recording this on December 16th, there's still a couple weeks left in the year and there's still a couple of college football games of note. Uh, before January 1st, 2022, Willie. Georgia and Michigan in one of the college football playoff games, Alabama and Cincinnati in the other. Hmm. Uh, you want to talk about Georgia specifically because, you know, and we were talking about this before we started recording the podcast. Uh, Georgia looked like the polar opposite of the team that went undefeated throughout the regular season uh, and had the best defense in the country, allowed about seven points per game. They had more shutouts than they did games where they allowed more than one touchdown. Uh, and it's it to me, it's astounding that a team that good for so for so much of the season just fell so flat. And and I can probably you could. Uh, OK, I'm not going to say I could point yeah. out everything that went wrong because I'm not by any means a football expert. Don't don't come to me for football advice, please, because I have no idea what I'm talking about sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I just know uh, Georgia, Georgia bad sometimes. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, though, uh, I know that. There's there's a, a missing piece to Georgia and it's a quarterback with a good arm. Yeah. Stetson Bennett's not that guy. No, he's not. He's not the quarterback who is going to drive the dogs down the field with his arm. He can make a couple of throws here and there, but he's not going to drive and will his team down the field late in the game with with the season on the line. Um, you know, will Georgia beat Michigan? I hope so, honestly, because I I would like to have yeah. Georgia get another crack at Alabama for the title this time. Yeah, not just the SEC, but you know, it, for for a team that has been so good all season, yeah. it would be just gut-wrenching to see Georgia come up short. <laughs> it, it would. I mean, this team looked historically dominant on and, like, as good as any team. I mean, just the margins of victories and the eye test and what maybe the best defense ever in college football in the regular season. Just incredible, Owen. But I really like college football. You know, I don't get to watch it as much as some other sports. Just because, I mean, you know, we, we have to go out and do things. We can't sit there and watch sports all the time. But you're right, Owen. I think what's so interesting about this to me is first, like you said, that Kirby Smart, as good a coach as he is, as good a recruiter as he is, as good a defensive coach as he is, um, his lack of ability to both choose the right quarterback and get good quarterbacks is astound throughout his seven years or so at Georgia is astounding. And I mean, while I do actually am going to still 
pick Georgia to win the title, to be honest. Um, look, if they don't beat Alabama that game, Alabama is going to be much better next year. You know, they've lost every game that they've played to Alabama under Kirby Smart, whether it's in the, you know, the regular season, SEC championship game, college football playoff. If not with this team and, and the relatively weakness of Alabama, when? And the manner in which it happened, the quarterback situation between Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels, and the fact that they just cannot beat, Kirby Smart cannot beat Nick Saban. It's just, I think that if they lose this, if they don't win the championship, I think there's a legitimate question about will they ever win a, win a championship coming up. Uh, and, you know, what, what Kirby Smart's going to face a lot of heat. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the criticism with Mark Richt, uh, Georgia's previous head coach, was you know Georgia was always good in the regular season. They they weren't the they weren't as good as they are now under Kirby Smart. They were you know two three loss at at worst. Yeah. Um. You know they they wouldn't they wouldn't come near uh, playing for the BCS title as it was back then. But they you know at the time they w- they would have maybe con- be been considered for the uh, the college football playoff. They, I mean they're a top ten team consistently. But they never played well in the big games. That was always the criticism under Mark Richt. Yeah, sure. So now you get a guy who played for the school in Kirby Smart. Yep. Georgia grad. Coached at Georgia. Coached under Nick Saban at Alabama. Kind of learned learned from the Bill Belichick coaching mm-hmm. tree, if you will. The, the the apprentice to Bill Belichick, Nick Saban. Uh, and then taking that to college and taking that to Georgia. And he recruited really well. And he, <laughs> he built a really good team in 2017. That was their... You know, you would think their best shot at winning a title, and they just let it slip. And then, since then, it hasn't really been favorable. You know, Notre Dame getting picked ahead of Georgia—that was kind of questionable a couple of years ago, uh, just because of how ridiculous the beatdown was uh, against sure. Notre Dame. Uh, and look, it, it's one of those things where it's the the names change, but the story does stay the same. And you, you want it to you want it to be different every year, every time. I mean, this is this is me as a Georgia sports fan trying to tell you all. You want it to be different every time, but it, there's just a feeling that it's never going to be. It's always going to be the yeah. same thing over and over again. So, you know, I would like to see Kirby Smart do it and get get the job done. I I just don't think it's going to happen as long as Nick Saban is head coach at Alabama. <laughs> That's yeah. just a fact. If if Saban was in Alabama, Georgia would have two or three national titles at this point. I mean, it, yeah. it makes that much of a difference. But then again, it's a bunch of if ands or buts sure. in uh, in college football. But mm-hmm. Willie, I know that you know you're picking Georgia to win the title. I am. I, I just don't see any way Alabama's going to lose. Based on how they're playing right now, the comeback in the Iron Bowl I think is what really got them going. Yeah, absolutely. Because after the loss to AM, they were kind of, you know, stuck in neutral. And then they were yep. down uh down in the Iron Bowl and they ended up coming back and winning that game. And then they were I think down briefly against Georgia, and then they came back and won the game. And yeah. I think they're I don't think Cincinnati really has a chance to to touch Alabama. Um mm. maybe they'll maybe make it a close game. I think in the they'll third, keep in, it close. Through I mean, the third quarter, really but I think good. I, I think they'll keep it close. Uh but yeah, no, I, I, you know, and I, it's tough to see which Alabama team are you going to get. You know, are you going to get the, the team that's played in several close games? 
I mean, the team in the Iron Bowl, that game, watching that game was fun, but they looked dreadful. I mean, you know, their offense got nothing going. Um, their offensive line was getting battered. Um, you know, Bryce Young had to have a fantastic final drive. You know, Auburn was playing with the backup quarterback who was hurt. Um, so if they play like they did against Georgia, it's possible. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think the offensive line issues, and I think that Georgia's ability to control the game at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball is, is really incredible. And I just think that this was the wake-up call that they need. And, you know, a lot of times you see in college football, other than the Alabama team last season, sometimes when teams are kind of going undefeated, they kind of struggle. And so maybe Georgia needed that, you know. But maybe they need JT Daniels in the game. You know, if it was me, I would put JT Daniels in because the games that he started versus the games Stetson Bennett started, they looked much better and, offensively. And what's crazy about it too, Owen, is like they talk about this like Stetson Bennett basically throws to Bowers. Like he doesn't spread the ball around at all. No, no. Like and he, he doesn't have... He doesn't have an arm that's going to push you down the field. He can, he can yeah. make a couple long throws, maybe, kind of, if the guy's wide open. But if you're talking, you know, you make a play that only a certain number of quarterbacks can play, then JT Daniels is that guy. But yeah. it just it just didn't look good every time Stetson Bennett started, just from the eye test itself. And I'm sure the numbers say, you know, the numbers say something else entirely. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think, you know, I had a feeling that Georgia was going to – going to kind of lose steam in that game because they hadn't really been challenged, truly challenged all year. You know, this was the first game that they had been put to, you know, that they had been put up against it all season. Mm. Uh, you know, Tennessee was the only team that scored more than one touchdown. They scored two touchdowns, uh, but Georgia also hung 41 points on them. I think it was like 41 to 17 Yeah, uh, against Tennessee this year. Yep. Uh, shutouts against, I think, Kentucky and... I want to say Florida. Yeah, uh, um, no, I don't think they should. Maybe not, no. maybe not Florida. But I mean, but, holding teams under ten points. It's, it's yeah. Just, I mean, it's how many teams scored more than a touchdown and a field goal? Like none. <laughs> one. One team Shut, scored more than like a touchdown. Defense field. so dominant and such a dominant yeah. front seven. I mean, just like they, yeah. the the common opponents they played against Alabama. I mean, they just like killed them. You know. So, yep. You have Defensive Player of the Year in Jordan Davis. You yeah. have N'Kobe Dean, Linebacker of the Year. You know, you've got basically, you're basically eight or nine players deep at the linebacker position. Yep. Uh, front, you know, like you're saying, front seven's elite. <laughs> Maybe it, they just needed that kick in the ass. And and I was telling you about this earlier, again, before we started start a recording. Uh, in 2017, Georgia played Auburn in the regular season. Georgia, I think at that point were, I think they were undefeated <laughs> at that point. Uh, but they were, they were up against Auburn and they got outplayed. They got punched in the mouth by Auburn. Auburn was better in every phase of the game. And, you know, it was, it was tough for Georgia. And so they realized the only way in the playoff was to beat Auburn in the SEC championship game. Yeah. Um, that year, Georgia annihilated Florida destroyed Tennessee. It was a really fun team to watch. It was Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, Jake from, um, and it, it, it looked for, you know, for certain almost that Georgia was going to, uh, 
um, you know, go to the playoff and then they lose to Auburn. It's like, okay, well, now what? Now we have to go to go to Atlanta again, play Auburn again. But this time they they beat Auburn. And I remember when Swift had the long touchdown run to kind of ice the game late in the fourth quarter. I thought, okay, this this is kind of this team is special. And then the the overtime win in the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield. That, that was something special. You think, okay, this team this team could be the one that wins the title for the first time since 19, uh, 1980, I think. Yeah, sure. And what happens next is is they lose on a second and twenty six. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it has it had Georgia classic Georgia written all over it from yeah. the the fail Mary to the just miraculous tipped hail Mary at um, at Tennessee in twenty sixteen. Sure. Just been a handful of moments like that under Kirby Smart and just in the catalog of Georgia football and. Maybe this is what they needed. Maybe it's the same thing like 2017 and, and losing to Alabama in the SEC championship game, but still making the playoff is the best thing they could have done in the context of trying to win the college football playoff. So, yeah. So, and do you you think you think that? Yeah, I mean, look, that 2017 team that went that far and, like you said, got battered in the SEC championship game. Maybe that's like that. Um, you know, but I, 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 let me ask you this though. And I mean, do you think that would this be more disappointing than any of the Mark Rick teams or even the 2017 national championship game if they didn't win it this time, given how good they looked and like, are you worried that they will never be able to beat Alabama with Nick Saban there if they can't win with this team? Well, 2017 was was pretty gut wrenching, and I remember this because I it was right around my birthday that year. the The college football playoff, the championship game, usually is around that time anyway. So it was kind of like, oh, it's my birthday, college football playoff. You know, it's it's fun it, as a college football fan. It's it's fun to fun to fun to watch. But that game, particularly the national championship game in 20, 2018, um, Bama against Georgia. That was particularly painful. And the reason it was is because not only did for three and a half quarters, did that game look like Georgia was going to finally do it and get the ball, get it over the line against Alabama. It looked like that for the whole game. It was Jake from Demico Hardman for like 60 something yards, whatever it was. A big touchdown to Michael Hardman and the defense really showing up. And for whatever reason, it's being able to suffocate Alabama. And then Tua comes into the game and yep. annihilates Georgia's secondary. I mean, we're talking about a first-round pick in DeAndre Baker getting torn up yes, by did. Tua in, in the fourth quarter, or second half, and overtime of that game. I mean, we're talking about one of the best defenses in the country, one of the best front sevens in the country. Lorenzo Carter, DeAndre Bell, um, Davin Bellamy, <laughs> Roquan Smith, all guys who are now in the NFL. Just helpless against, you know, another quarterback who's also in the NFL. So, yeah, it, it's, you know, that was particularly gun wrenching. I don't think this time will be as bad, though, because it just doesn't have. I don't know. Georgia is super good this year, but th- that year they overcame some pretty significant adversity too. I mean, you know, they, they they had a pretty big chip on their shoulder in 2017 
because in 2016 there was a loss to Florida. There's the it was like six and six that year, seven and seven and five that year, whatever it was. Uh, it, it just really below below par for Georgia, and and I, I just don't see this year being better than 2021. And again, I, look, Willie, I said this about the Braves. I I was wrong, yeah. and I'm I saying about Georgia. If I'm wrong, great. That it doesn't really matter to me because you know we're looking into a crystal ball of just nothingness right now. Yeah. No, and I, I feel – it's so interesting, Owen. Like, look, man, that 2017 game – by the way, they could have had Justin Fields and not Jake Fromm who threw a couple picks in that game. Um, thank you <laughs> to Georgia. Um, yeah, I mean, even with the 2016 season, it's so fascinating because we, when you go through all these seasons, Owen, I mean, it's just – I don't know if Kirby Smart was seeing things the way that most people were watching that SEC championship game this season were on TV. And I look, Owen, if they if they lose this game, I just have a hard time believing that with Nick Saban there, they're going to be able to beat him. I, I, just, I, I just do. I think it's all. No, yeah, I'm I'm with you there on that. I, I I'm not going to try to argue against that. I mean, I can't. I, I, that's literally what I think. So no, for sure. Well, Willie, lots to look forward to in the end of 2021, the start of 2022, but (laughs) it is that time of every show. We get to look into that proverbial crystal ball once more and deliver our hottest takes. That's right, folks. This is our hot takes segment for which, by which we name the show, for which we name the show. Willie, what do you got for us? Yeah, so for starters, I think that in the MLB season, every team that there, there are break, teams have breakout seasons. Every year, teams have breakout seasons. One of the reasons I love baseball I think this year's team will be the Detroit Tigers. They are. I think they'll make the second wild card. The playoffs is the second wild card, but lose in the wild card round to the top wild card, which I think will be the Red Sox. Um, and they have some really good young talent on the team, both from previous seasons, but that are coming up as rookies that were really high draft picks that have made it through the system. They've also made some free agency splashes, and I think they'll do more. They've spent a couple hundred million dollars. They came on strong at the end of last season. They only finished eight games under 500. I think they're kind of like the Marlins did in that COVID season. I think they're well-positioned for a huge breakout. You know, a lot of people, if they're looking for a sleeper, I don't know, the easiest team to pick is the Texas Rangers. But I think, you know, Detroit Tigers are are the team that I'm I'm looking at. That will be kind of like the Seattle Mariners of this past season. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got a lot of a lot of big signings to talk about. And you know, when the lockout is over, we'll be able to yep. talk about this more, you know, more effectively, more thoroughly. But I don't I don't like that that uh I don't I don't dislike that take at all. Okay. I think it's a really wow. it's a good shout for for a team that has a bright future, I think. And okay. I think Javi Baez is really important in in helping some of the young guys, but also being able to produce now. So Yep. You know, I, I like the Tigers as kind of being a sleeper. Um, sure. Maybe not this coming year will be their year, but maybe the year after when, uh, when the top, you know, some of their top prospects, Spencer Torkelson, being yeah. one of them, Casey Mize being another, yeah, uh, who's already at the big league level. So a lot, lot, lots of like if you're a Tigers fan, you know, yeah. long term, at least something to be optimistic about. And also mention too, not only like you said, those young guys come through the system, but weak division as well, might yeah. be the worst division in baseball. So I think there's a lot to like about that as well yeah and the white Sox haven't really done much to strengthen so yeah i mean the white Sox look the white Sox are a good team very good team um but i think every every other team in in the division 
the Tigers could beat. So mm-hmm. no, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Let me give you one of mine, Willie. Go ahead. So we talked about this individual a little earlier on the show and and his impact on a certain sport, but um, you know, Tiger Woods has pretty complicated legacy uh, between okay. his on course dominance and off field um, mishaps, if you will. I'm going to go out on a limb, though, and I'm going to say that his son is arguably going to be better. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He's not going to be better. Oh, my God. But his son, his son is going to be a terrific PGA professional well, if he chooses good? to how pursue good? golf. How good? Double-digit majors. <laughs> wow. That's a very I mean, hot take, man. When you have those genes... Picking anyone to win double-digit majors is... Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That, that, I mean, hell, <laughs> he may not even be a golfer. I mean, the the pure just athleticism that 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 he possesses, him and his dad as well. It's it's scary because I, there's a chance his son, like Tiger's son, may not even be a golfer. Yeah. So I mean, he's very good now, but you know, he's also what eleven. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, man. His swing looks great. Uh, I look forward to watching some of the clips from the father-son challenge too, like last year. And people talk about how good he is. And if he wants it, it's a lot of expectations to place. But I have no doubt that he could. Look, that's a bold. That is still a bold take, though. Anytime you predict someone to win double-digit majors, I mean, that is a hot take, man. That's one of the hotter takes you've had, even if he's Tiger's son. Still one of the hotter takes you've had, man. That that that's that's incredible. Hey, he's the baby goat. So Wow. Papa's the goat, he's the baby goat. Okay. Wow, okay. That, I mean that's that's something, man. That's uh that's something. <laughs> okay. Um I've got a hot take. I got a hot take. I think this is a very hot take. Um it's tough to say because you don't know what it'll the how the balls come out <laughs> the ping pong balls. But um, I think Villarreal will make the Champions League final. Yeah, Villarreal. Villarreal, and they won't they won't win it. Any one of the Man City's, Bayern's, or Liverpool's, maybe Chelsea's will win it, but. Real Madrid, even, but Villarreal will make the final. Well, all I got to say to that, Willie, is good evening. <laughs> Unai's at the wheel. I know. Um, no, I... I like, I like watching them, man. I, I think they're... the way And the way they, they play and the way they set up, I think makes them a very dangerous team. Well, They have some really dangerous guys on the counterattack. Emery is a Europa League specialist, but not quite in the Champions League. <laughs> Fair enough. But hey, it's it's a fun take. I like it. I like it. Okay. Okay. What you got another one? I I do, Willie. Okay, go ahead. I would argue that Shohei Otani's 2021 season is going to be one-upped. No way. By Shohei Otani. What? I think there's still he can still get better. Oh my god! Because for every tape measure home run, there was a 
a missed opportunity to slap a double down the line. Down the, uh, slap a double opposite down the opposite line. Uh, for every every home run given up, I see stuff that is even better. Because after 2021, Willie, he will have more confidence than he did this year in his own ability to be one of the best players in baseball. Mm-hmm. Certainly most valuable in 2021. But he'll also have the the confidence that if he can stay healthy <laughs> wow. and pitch for a full season, two full years after Tommy John surgery, then, then it's scary. Because you have to think that, and, and I would argue that he's the only player capable of, of one-upping himself. And that, that's a, a pretty important caveat to this take. He's the only player capable of one-upping himself. Like no one is ever going to have a better season than Otani You're other right. than Otani. But when you watch him pitch, Willie, you see an exploding fastball, you see a diabolical splitter, and you see a, fl- a frisbee slider. And I think he also wow. throws a changeup and uh, a curveball. Okay. He, I mean, he's, he's got all the tools, and it's just a question of the reps and the confidence. I will say this. I think he can do it. I will say this, Owen. I think the reason why you could, that's an extremely hot take, but I think the reason why you could be right is I think he can pitch better. I think he can pitch a little bit better. Yeah. If, if he can get just become a, a very good to like an elite pitcher, then, then you could definitely make that argument, you know, but that's still an extremely hot take. My guy <laughs> it's, it's going the greatest season to that is is wow you know what i mean the greatest season to the greatest season plus one. Oh my gosh that's something man yeah <laughs> Jeez, louise bro Jeez, louise well wow. i mean we've been talking about the the awards and the accolades and the things that he did this year that were you know really just completely unprecedented and you know what's to say he can't do it another year yeah He's already done it wow okay yeah i mean that's something all right all right I got one more. Um, if you, if you, uh, unless you want to go first. Nope, nope. I, I've got mine, mine off the, off the. All right. Off the chest. I got one more. Uh, I think uh, the in terms of the FedEx Cup, if I'm predicting for the upcoming season, which is uh, started in the wraparound, but I think Scotty Scheffler is going to win the the FedEx Cup. Hmm. Not a bad shout. I mean, he's. He's just quietly growing in stature as a player. He's going to get better and better. He's been on the big stage for yes, yes. you know last couple of years. So mm-hmm. I think I like it. I in like terms it. of my golf predictions, I think Scotty Scheffler will win the FedEx Cup. I think he'll win one major and a few other tournaments. And I I also will predict that. Uh, I mean, this is not a hot take. Just a side note. I predict that John Rahm will win the first two majors of the season, and very similar to Jordan Spieth, go into it thinking maybe he can get the calendar career, the Tiger Slam. So. Wow. Yeah, I think this wow. is the season where he breaks out and has a, like a, a, a truly elite season. Well, lots of, lots of time between now and then, Willie, but you know, these are, these are some, some pretty fire takes, some spicy ones. At Thanks, that. Man. I think the Villarreal take is the spiciest. Even more than the Tigers? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think the Tigers have a better shot at it than than Villarreal do. Because, I mean, 
Who did Villarreal play in the Champions League in the group stage this well, year? Well, they, they got oh oh in in the group stage. They yeah. had a tough group, man. They had uh, it was uh, Man United, um, Atalanta, and uh, who's the other team in that group? It was um oh, was it, uh, oh uh, young, uh, boys. young boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. Yep. I am. It's, it's it's a decent group, I guess. It's it's it, it challenges them a good bit, but I don't know. I still like. Uh, I don't know. I'll take the field on this one. <laughs> okay. Keep in mind, they're also 13th in La Liga. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not exactly uh, tearing it up, if you will. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair but, enough. Folks, again, we said this at the top of the show, but thank you again for supporting us throughout 2021. Uh, Willie and I really do have a blast every time we, we sit down and record a podcast episode. Uh, you can, by the way, get these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, I think... Amazon's podcast service, basically wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, on the hosting site, that's anchor.fm slash hot takes only. That's all one word. Again, anchor.fm slash hot takes only. We will be back in 2022 to recap the college football playoff to that point, depending on when we do our first episode, it'll either be before or after the national title game, at which point we'll know whether Willie was right about Georgia and whether I was wrong about Georgia. We'll see. Go dogs. Uh, and you know, what, what, uh, what 2021 or what 2022 brings us, uh, as another full calendar year with vaccines, hopefully with COVID being ever present and with all of us just not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring, especially in this crazy sporting world. Willie, any final thoughts for the end of the year? Yeah. And I, um, Sports are great, and so much of sports is how we react in the moment, you know? And um, that's what someone said in quotes. And, uh, yeah, I'm just always grateful for the memories that you provide, you know? And so yep, very thankful. I'm glad that you and I get to share the memory of Dodger Stadium and watch that game together. Absolutely. Big playoff game atmosphere, and then, of Mm -hmm. course, you being right about the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series, which I, again, while we were recording this episode, I could not believe that it's a real thing. But, folks, it's a real thing. The Braves are World Series champs. I I still cannot believe it. But that's all for this episode. That's all for this year of Hot Takes Only. Again, we'll be back in 2022, folks. Happy holidays to you. Happy New Year. We will see you January 2022. I got to 